Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Red states aren't prepared for a post-Roe baby boom if the Supreme Court does in fact overturn Roe versus Wade. The red states poised to ban or severely limit abortion already tend to have limited access to health care. They have poor health outcomes and fewer safety net programs in place for mothers and children. The ensuing increase in births will likely leave families in tough circumstances and strain systems that are already hanging by a thread in these states. Joining me now is Dr. Bhavik Kumar. He is an abortion provider at Planned Parenthood Center for Choice in Houston, Texas. Doctor, thank you so much uh, for making time for us. What has your experience been as uh, an abortion provider in the wake of the Republican-backed legislation that all but banned abortion access in your state? Yeah, this is certainly not something that's new for us in Texas. It's been probably a decade or more where Republican elected officials have been passing abortion restriction after abortion restriction, and it's become more extreme with time. Certainly, we're in the most extreme place we've been um, ever. And we've also got a Supreme Court case that will be decided in the next few weeks. Um, and like you mentioned, has the potential to ban abortion access in about half of the country. So this is a very difficult time for us taking care of people who oftentimes will say things like, I never thought I would need an abortion. I never thought I would be here because most people don't plan on having an abortion. But we're now in a place where we're not able to help them and instead helping them get to another state. And as you mentioned, Oklahoma's already passed another very extreme abortion law. But this is becoming worse and worse with time, unfortunately. How concerned are you um, about red states like Texas not having the infrastructure to support uh, the requirements or the healthcare requirements uh, of a baby boom if Roe versus Wade is overturned? Yeah, I'm very concerned. We know that when folks don't have access to abortion and they're forced to carry their pregnancies to term, that people suffer. Folks make decisions about what's best for them, their health, knowing their own health history, what's best for their family, oftentimes for the kids that they already have at home. And when they don't have access to abortion care, when they don't ha have access to health care that they need, and we also know that the health care uh, access industry, you know, as far as insurance access, ability to find a primary care doctor, to have the things that they need before they become pregnant, while they're pregnant, and then also after it's not in place, they will suffer, people will suffer, and some people will die, unfortunately. We also know from the study that you mentioned that states that have the most abortion restrictions actually have the highest maternal mortality rates and worse healthcare outcomes. So the writings on the wall, banning access to abortion will cause people to suffer, and we already know that. Yet here we are with politicians continuing to push abortion bans um, at the 
Tonight, Nancy Pelosi's husband is facing two misdemeanor counts of driving under the influence. Paul Pelosi, the husband of the House Speaker, was arrested late last night in Napa Valley, California, accused of driving with a blood alcohol content above .08. Paul Pelosi, who is 82 years old, was released on $5,000 bail. Speaker Pelosi has not commented on the arrest. Police shooting the gunman. Now, nine-year-old survivor Daniel Garza, who lost his cousin in the shooting, revealing what it was like as they waited to be rescued. His teacher, Elsa Avila, injured in the attack, shot two times, but locked the door before the gunman could get in. She ran to the door quickly. She got her key. She broke the key in, and then she was running because she got shot, and then she just, like, dropped on the floor, and then she was, like, playing dead. Daniel recounting the moment he saw the gunman. He's, like, staring at, like, people through a little window. And what was he doing? He was just like standing there with his gun, like tapping on like the window. As the nation mourns the 21 lives lost, President Biden and First Lady visiting Uvalde Sunday to pay tribute. The president confronted by a frustrated crowd. The crowd chanting, do something. The president responding, we will. With these mass shootings, it keeps coming back to the, uh, it keeps coming back to the AR-15 and similar models. Why do people need an AR-15 anyway? You know, it's just a semi-automatic rifle. I mean, you know, if you want to be prejudiced about the way it looks, but uh, I was aware of what happened in the 94 uh, semi-automatic firearms ban, and there were rifles of similar function that just didn't look as ugly. They weren't black guns like a Mini-14, Ruger Mini-14. And of course, the Ruger Mini-14 was appropriate and the AR-15 was not if it had a bayonet lug or a vertical but, rear grip. So Leigh they designed Ann, around I, I do it. want to ask you about the assault weapons ban, but you know, on the AR-15, how, how is it that an 18-year-old can buy an AR-15-style rifle and have 1,600 rounds of ammo with him like we saw in Uvalde? Well, it's, he did not have any prior convictions. He didn't have any prior issues that would have kept him from purchasing one. It's my understanding from the news that he uh, purchased it through a firearms dealer. He passed the background check because he didn't have any prior convictions. Right, but should an 18-year-old have an AR-15? That's how he bought it. Should an 18-year-old have an AR-15? What's he gonna do with it? I don't it? know, Go should an 18-year-old have one in the Army? Well, they have military, they have military training in the Army. This 18-year-old in Uvalde did not have military training. He turned 18 and he went out and bought an AR-15. And the fact is that these kinds of issues are far more complicated than whether we remove something from the public. These issues in criminogenics you can't and trying buy a to beer resolve if you're 18. You can't buy a pack of cigarettes. Crime are more complicated than, than the easy answer. Do you want to know why politicians seems to go to gun control? Because it doesn't cost them any money. Well, moments ago, President Biden spoke to reporters as he returned to the White House from his weekend visit to Uvalde, and he was asked, what will change? What is next on the issue of gun control? Listen to the president. I've been pretty motivated all along. You know, the folks, uh, the folks who were victimized uh, in their families, they spent uh, three hours and 40 minutes with me. They waited all that time, and some came two hours early. And uh, the pain is palpable. And 
I think a lot of it's unnecessary. So I'm going to continue to push, and uh, we'll see how this works. Is there one element? Is it age? Is it red flag? Is it some component that you think could be most successful now? Well, that's hard to say because I've not been negotiating with any of the Republicans yet. And uh, I deliberately did not uh, engage in a debate about that with any Republican in that we're, when we were down controlling the families in Texas. Um, so I, I don't I don't know what is the most how far it goes. I know that it makes no sense to be able to purchase something that can fire up to 300 rounds. I know it makes and I know what happened when we had rational action before back in was the law that I got passed. It did significantly cut down mass murder. And remember, the Constitution, the Second Amendment, was never absolute. You couldn't buy a cannon when the Second Amendment was passed. You couldn't go out and purchase a lot of weapons. And those who, not many are saying it anymore, but there was a while there where people were saying that, you know, the tree of liberty is water with the blood of patriots and what we have to do is have to be able to take on the government when they're wrong. Well, to do that, you need an F-15, you know? You need a Abram tank. I mean, so it's just, I, I, say, I, think, think, I, I think things have gotten so bad that everybody's getting more rational about it. At least that's my hope and prayer. I, I have a goal star. Go ahead. The president has talked about understanding from his life experience those difficulties, economic hardships, and so forth. Does he consider it a crisis for American families that prices are at this 40-year high? He he's he considered he understands the hardship that people are going through. He understands how difficult it is for families. He understands that. That's why he has done everything that he can uh, to and taken steps uh, in many different ways to make sure that we lower cost. Uh, you know, we announced. Ladies and gentlemen, today we remember and we reaffirm: freedom is worth the sacrifice. Democracy is not perfect. It's never been good. Perfect. But it's worth fighting for. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's a nice little intro there. We got Nancy Pelosi. So it was 117 seconds on all media forums. The gun bullshit in America was never a great place. We're going to hear a lot of that from this guy. It's his rallying cry to get liberals to vote. It's like racism, sexism, uh, transgender, phobia, homophobia, and America sucks, and liberals just run to the polls. They love that shit. They jerk off with two hands. So it's the first, it's a Wednesday, and you're wondering, why is he podcast? Well, because I am no longer employed. That's how that happened. Um, I uh, made a bad decision. My bad decision was to take the job. It wasn't for me. You know, there's two adages I always live by before this moment in my life. Number one is you can never go soft and go hard. You have to go hard and then go soft. And you never work for people that you know are assholes. The third was I thought I could go up and then go down, but I couldn't. Um, it's a weakness. I'm a projector. I project things. 
I think we all do in some way. We project what we believe on other people, not to the expense, you know, the extent that you expect them to be like it, but you expect them to understand it. Um, and I, I didn't do a good job. I, I got taken out by a perfect child that's been told they're perfect their whole life. And I got taken out by somebody off I hired off the streets who actually wrote down everything I ever said, but said it in a negative connotation with dates. Who the fuck does that? And to be quite honest, it's because I had to counsel one of them and I had to literally say, no, you can't take two weeks vacation. Sorry. And that person quit and wrote a long letter that I'm the Antichrist. And the other one, I finally yelled at him. It happened. I didn't curse him, but I cursed on the phone. It was the day I found out I guessed a priestess and I snapped. I said I was sorry. I apologized instantly and I apologized in person, but it wasn't good enough because they still want to get rid of me. Um, people do things. You know, everything's from everybody's perception, my boss was told. Well, my perception was she was told she was going to be the manager and I ruined that. So that's why she took me out. So now that she can be the manager. Good. Let her. And then for the first time in my life, I bust through. I burned a bridge. I've never done that. I usually just, um, in this case, due to medical, I'm leaving, is what I would usually put on a piece of paper. But my wife got in my head, and I'm glad she did, and I was petty. I refuted everything, and I talked about my supervisor not ever talking to me, answering phones, answering emails, ignoring me completely. And I put it on paper. So that company, which I won't mention, because technically I'm still employed till tomorrow. I don't think I'm ever going to get a job. Mm, but that's okay. Uh, it was a great tactical brand that I thought was the greatest thing ever that is no longer tactical. Um, the benefit was one of my idols called me. We sat and talked two hours over two days. And I felt a lot better about life in general, realizing that I just didn't fail. This was kind of good for me. I, I'm really sick, and working every day was making it worse because there was mold in the building. Um, these last couple of weeks, I've worked a lot less because I was working every day so that the person that took me out could have their weekend, trying to be kind. And with the HEPA filter, the personal HEPA filter, I was feeling much better. I wasn't inhaling the mold um, and I've dialed in my diet. So, uh, I continue the walk. I got up this morning cause I would leave work and go to early instead of reporting at seven 30, I'd report at seven so I could walk and work and move. And it would make me feel so much better. So I woke up this morning and did a mile and a half walk, not at a fast pace with, you know, just got up and walked and, you know, eventually I'll get to five miles or whatever. And I'll just keep walking because exercise and diet is how you beat gastroparesis. And it's working. Um, not sleeping in a bed, but I definitely am feeling better. So this was a good thing for me. So I'm going to podcast today. I'm going to podcast Sunday or Monday. I'm going to podcast twice a week. Whether you want to listen to them or not, people. Until... Um, I get a job. Now I'm going to start looking next week. But I think my leadership days are over. You know, it's like the NFL. It didn't matter what I did. I can't relate to the people you're leading. It's like an old coach. And eventually you just got to leave. And um, I was both mean and 
not happy reserved. Those were the complaints, which I don't know how those two things can be the same thing. Um, but, you know, I tried every day to be friendly, but when I'm really super sick or really upset, I stay away from people because they don't like it. Um, most of these young kids can't stand passion about things they don't give a fuck about. Um, had I got angry about how the rainforests are tra treated or how LGBT issues aren't being approached in the right way in our country or guns, I would be awesome. But I got angry about we suck. Our sales are horrible. I don't care what they say. They're not good. We're not paying the bills. And that was something people couldn't handle. Um, they just wanted to sit around and sit on their phones. It was tough. It was a tough nine months. But I learned a lot about myself. Um, I let myself get really out of shape, so I got injured a lot. And I also learned that you have to work where you want to work. Every sign was showing me this wasn't for me. I even tried to quit the first week. Um, <clears throat> I was 320 pounds. I chewed bubble gum. It was a very arduous physical job. Parts of me just don't work, whether I'm skinny or not. My knees are shot. My back shot. My hips shot. My neck shot. And my shoulders are pretty much garbage. Um, I could go to a gym every day. I'm not going to change that. And mentally... Something broke when I worked for Dirt Cheap. And those are with the show, probably Matt in Oregon saw it. it. It just broke. I don't know why I broke. I just couldn't do it anymore. I just couldn't, um, I couldn't polish turds. I couldn't say everything's okay. I couldn't accept substandard performance. I couldn't tolerate stupid and you would think that'd be something I'd really be good at because for 20 years in the army you see a lot of stupid you work for stupid man if I was in right now I'd, it'd really be stupid I mean the most important thing Millie is you know getting those Nazis that are mega and fucking transgender rights not getting ready for China China but I couldn't handle stupid and you know Everywhere you go is politics. You know, it's not what you do, it's who you know. Uh, my supervisor got his job that way. I had a friend. He's not qualified, but he got the job. And now he's a god because he says the right things, does the right meetings, and polishes turds. He's very positive. I got handed one of those people. They were beloved, and I couldn't do what I had to do. What I had to do to be successful is to say that they were the greatest person on the planet. And they weren't. They weren't qualified for the position they held. Managers would say that to me and I would defend her because that was the only thing I could think of doing. If I dogged that person, I would lose my job because they were beloved, anointed. But in person, I, I would be honest. You're not good. You need to fix this, this, and this. You got to lead. You got to do the jobs you don't want to do. You got to stop being happy. You're not people's friends. You got to stand away from them. You can't just hang out all day and think people are going to mop the floor. They're going to say, fuck you. And it would happen. They'd say, fuck you. And she wouldn't do anything about it. 
And then I just got tired of it and I quit. I quit about three months ago. I would just come into work and do everything and then I'd go home. And I'd count the clock. It wasn't good. It wasn't professional. I was just so sick. I just wanted to get the fuck out of that building. If I could get out of that building 30 minutes earlier, I'd get out out 30 minutes earlier. I would just get the fuck out of there because it was killing me. It was just, I would walk in and breathe the air and my stomach would tighten up and nausea would hit and I'd have pains everywhere in my stomach. There was just something in there. So the HEPA helped, but it was still an exposure thing. I'd have to take a shower every day I got home. And there's mold in there. They know there's mold. They're just not going to do anything about it because nobody wants to spend that money. And the previous tenants told us there's mold. So the thing I could do if I really cared is call OSHA because it's a hazard. Previous crew got sick all the time. They told us that. I didn't ask for it. The lady just told me. But the people that are there hate me, so fuck them. (laughs) Why would you go do that? It's not going to be a good thing. You know, they wouldn't see it that way. Nothing millennials, nothing you do for millennials and young kids they see as good. They just see you as an asshole and they want you out of the way. Um, I literally had a person say, I'm training these people to do stuff because I think you're going to die. Because they think you're old. And that's such a shock for me. When I was older in the Army, it was a joke. And when I worked for other companies, it was more of a joking, jesting thing. This new generation of kids, they just hate old people. There's nothing you can do. Um, And it's society. Look at your social media. Boomers ruined everything. They thought I was a boomer. I'm way too young. But, you know, it's tough. It brings out a lot of things in you. Um. I've never been fired. I was going to be fired, probably. My boss wasn't going to help me. He didn't like me. So I was going to probably get crushed for saying fucking fuck and fuck on a phone to an incompetent fuck who left the front door open and didn't get in trouble for it. But... I think I was surprised how childish I was. On the inside, I wanted vengeance. I wanted to get back at the person who did this to me, especially after I apologized. Get back at the person who just was doing it because they couldn't get two weeks vacation and literally tell my supervisor what a piece of fucking shit he is. That you can't lead by using other people to do your job. That is some sorry-ass shit. And that bosses don't expect their subordinates to get a relationship with them. The relationship between the superior and the subordinate is initiated and nurtured by the superior. They reach out. They foster. Even if they have to fake it. Um, A telling sign was when I got injured, he yelled at me. And then the last three months, he's never asked, how you doing? Not once. But he is beloved. And that says a lot about a company. 
And it goes back to what I just said. I knew it before I took the job. That's really stupid. It's very stupid. I knew who these people were. I was one of their, they were my vendors. And they always talked off their nose to you and they always talked down and they were just very, very arrogant. And they were a great product, but it wasn't the most important product for us because we were military. You know, our LE slice and first responder hua dudes was a very small majority, you know, minority of what we sold in the industry that I was working in at US Calvary. It wasn't that important, but that's who they were. And if you know that, A, you shouldn't work for them, and B, you shouldn't be offended by it, but always both. So, got some personal uh, learning to get fixed out before I go to the next job. And um, I think the most important thing I learned is I'm done. I don't think I can lead anymore. I don't relate and I can't fake it anymore. I made it about five months and then I just couldn't fake it. Even when I was being nice, I think they knew I, I think you're a piece of garbage and you wouldn't be here if I could find somebody. And that's not good. Because in the current world, you, you know, they can sit up there on the podium and say how good things are, or she can say inflation's not a crisis, and there's so many job openings. Man, you just people have gotten used to not working. They were good with it. They figured out how to change their life, or they moved back home, or what have you. These kids don't want to work. They want everything handed to them, and they want a good paycheck. And even then, they'll be upset. I mean, one of the people that took me out literally bitched about not getting enough hours and getting too many hours. That was the bitch. Which It sums up the generation, you know. I'm sure our parents thought these things, but if you're in your 50s right now, you're fucked. When you're in your 70s, this country's going to be pretty fucked up because these people are sorry. They'll never get it. They'll just never pick it up. They're just not. They're going to keep voting for people to hand them free paychecks. And they're going to keep half-ass. Half-ass is okay. Because this isn't their world. The real world isn't the world. The real world is the digital world. And my digital is awesome, man. I got a whole bunch of followers. And everything I write, they like. I get tens of tens of likes, just like the State Farm commercial. And that's our future. Unless something drastically changes, it's not going to change. This is what we got. And it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Um, which behooves me to go get a job. And this time do it right. You know, put all the money in the bank. I didn't do that. I had some fun. Bought a bunch of stuff for my wife, replaced some things that were lost, like her Tiffany earrings, and, and I bought a bunch of stupid shit. And, you know, you always think you're going to be able to get it all square, but credit card got fucked up by the broken AC, and boom, 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 you still got a little debt that you weren't supposed to have, and that sucks because that was the purpose of getting the fucking job. But, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'll find something, and I'll get back in the pipeline because I'm not going to sit here and podcast forever. And with this economy, you just can't live off pension and disability you just can't both things i earned i don't think they're freebies but you can't live on it you can but you're just gonna sit at the house 
in the dark as electricity bills go up. The funniest thing was our fallback plan was to sell the Jeep if this ever happened. You know, I've been offered 30 grand for that motherfucker and I only owe 17 and get a little nest egg. But I just put 4500 into it so we could keep it forever because I thought I'd keep the job till December and then quit. That was my plan. Put everything in the bank. I had two more paychecks and the credit card was gone and which it had been gone a couple times, but we kept having problems and things breaking. Yeah, it's tough, but enough of my whining. So this is going to be a short show because you already know the subjects. It's repetitive because the same show we just did this weekend, but my God in heaven, the media jerk off of, we want to take your guns. Mother fucker. What the hell's wrong with my mouse? Please. I am a politic, the media jerk off of the week. So hot. But, but uh, let me ask you about your journey on this because you. You were once an A rating uh, from the NRA. Uh, you owned an AR-15. Do you still own an AR-15? I do. Yep. So, so help, help me understand. How did you, how did you go uh, from being somebody that was kind of you know right in line with 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 the gun lobby on this to somebody uh, who who thinks it's time to change these laws? Look, it's a, it's a journey of you know getting sick of seeing the mass shootings. You know, being a strong, look, I'm, I'm a strong defender of the Second Amendment. And, and one of the things I believe that for some reason is a very rare thing is that as a person that appreciates and, and believes in the Second Amendment, we have to be the ones putting forward reasonable solutions to gun violence. You know, the, the reaction of my colleagues of the NRA to say, hey, if you want to come and take my gun. So I'm going to walk around. I'm going to go into the Michigan State Capitol with my AR because I can. By the way, can I make a point that open carry, especially with ARs, is one of the more insane things. Uh, maybe out west it works fine. I'm not going to go after it there. But to walk into the State Capitol of Michigan with a gun because it makes you feel tough, uh, these are the kinds of things that Second Amendment supporters are doing no favors to defend that Second Amendment the next generation. So for me, I woke up the morning after Vegas, the Vegas shooting. I had shot a bump stock before. I heard the audio from that shooting. I knew that was a bump stock. And I called for banning bump stocks, which, by the way, was ultimately done. And because of that, the NRA basically said, Kinzinger's a rhino or whatever their language was. And I realized, especially then, the only thing the NRA cares about is raising money on your back. They don't really give a lot of money to people. They can get people upset. And they're competing with another group called Gun Owners of America. You think the NRA is crazy. Look at the Gun Owners of America. These are the ones that believe there should be zero restrictions on owning guns. And now NRA has to compete with this group for crazy because that's where they get their money from. The NRA has become, it's gone from defending rights of gun owners. It has become a grifting scam. And all you have to do is look at the last few years of the grifting scam of the NRA to know that that's true. Yeah, the Gunners of America, I, I remember covering them after uh, the Oklahoma City bombing. They're outright 
Turning now to a sweeping proposal on gun violence, not here, but in Canada. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has just introduced far-reaching gun legislation that has never gained any traction here in America. Our neighbors to the north appear to be taking immediate action. We need less gun violence. We cannot let the guns debate become so polarized that nothing gets done. We cannot let that happen in our country. The new proposal announced by Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau would freeze handgun sales and implement a gun buyback program for military-style weapons. Those weapons were banned in Canada following a 2020 mass shooting in Nova Scotia that claimed 22 lives. We need only look south of the border to know that if we do not take action firmly and rapidly, it gets worse and worse and more difficult to counter. Here at home, President Biden said yesterday he wants to see tighter gun restrictions too, especially when it comes to the AR-15 style rifle used by the gunman in Uvalde, Texas. Remember, the Constitution of the Second Amendment was never absolute. Later today, President Biden will welcome New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern to the White House. She imposed a nationwide ban on semi-automatic weapons in 2019 after a gunman killed more than 50 people at two mosques in Christchurch. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is proposing a national freeze on handgun sales in Canada. He made that announcement at a news conference in Ottawa yesterday. He said it will be illegal to buy, sell, or import handguns guns anywhere in Canada and the move comes in response to an increase in homicides in that country unclear when the legislation will become law Trudeau also announced a gun buyback program for individuals affected by a 2020 law listen this AR-15's got to go gotta I'm go. sorry it's gotta yeah. go. you know gotta go. I, I, it just because you know, I think about those the, the people up in Buffalo who are still suffering because they still can't go shop anywhere because nobody will bring a supermarket where these folks are living. Mm -hmm. There is too much at stake here. Too many lives have been at stake yeah. and too many damn little kids. I'm sick of seeing people talk about, well, we should do something. No, we should do something. And I don't care, NRA. You got to give that gun up. You can have your other yeehaw guns, whatever you want. The AR-15 is not a hunting gun. It is not a gun where you're going to go out and shoot your dinner. This gun is meant to kill people. That's what it's for. And you can't have it anymore. And I'm not even going to tell you how pissed I am that so many folks are saying, well, you can't have what you need for your body. Forget my body. You can't have this gun because it yeah. kills people and children, and I'm sick of it. And since, and since this incident, by the way, that we're talking about, 11 other mass shootings have yes. taken place. Or over the weekend, yeah. I, th I, think that over we the should, weekend. I think that we should mention every day that a mass shooting has taken place. Yeah. Well, I want the NRA people the to have to go to all the funerals. Right. I want people who are part of the NRA to have to go to the funerals of these children. Or look at the pictures. You know? Let look them at the look pictures. at the pictures. And also, I don't want all your guns the way you don't want to take away all my rights to abortion. I don't want all your guns. I want that AR-15. I want it. And we're going to vote it out. A lot of people look at this and say, hey, if we could just get rational people in a room together, they could figure out some solutions to this. So that's what I want to do here. You guys are in a room together. Figure it out. Uh, Fred, you go first. 
Yeah, you know, listen, first things first. Um, it starts with me telling somebody like Joe that I respect his rights as a gun owner and that, like him, I support the Second Amendment. Um, and it starts with both of us agreeing we hate gun violence. John, I don't think anything's going to get done at all until responsible gun owners like me passionate Second Amendment people like me get off of our ass and pressure the Senate Republicans to do something. So, Joe, concrete, raise the age to buy an AR-15 to 21? I, I'm, I, I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm not there yet, but I'm listening. That's something that's on the table, and Fred, doggone it, is making a lot of sense on that issue with me. John, 18 or 21, someone to have a long gun, any firearm, has to undergo some training. Uh, I'm sure I'm, I'm open to the age. Fred, what about that? No, listen, um, Joe and I actually had this conversation last week, and he doesn't He's not there yet. Um, but you know what? He will be because I'm not done talking to him. Hey, John, Republican senators are not going to move until responsible gun owners like me put a boot up their ass and, and, and isolate the NRA. I'm no longer a member of the NRA, haven't been for a few years, because they don't even want people like Fred Guttenberg and me speaking. Well, I'm glad to be part of this forbidden love then. What makes sense is simple gun reform. There is no need for an AR-15, period, especially in the hands of an 18-year-old. There is no need. We would not have experienced the level of carnage that we did as quickly as we did. And maybe law enforcement wouldn't have been so scared if he didn't have an AR-15. So we need to get real about what the problems are and we need to start solving them instead of creating more problems. Uh, you're preaching to the choir. I, I, I do think, though, when I, I think about law enforcement officers outside um, having fear of going inside, Jasmine makes a good point. They were afraid of, you know, an AR-15. If law enforcement is afraid of an AR-15, perhaps this is not a gun that should be on the streets. Perhaps this is not a gun that should be on the streets. Perhaps the way that we focus laws and legislation in this country can actually go not only to fund the mental health that everyone wants to come to in moments like these, but also go to pull AR-15s and other similar assault weapons off of the streets. But we need to remove the tools of violence. That is about removing assault bans, assault weapons at the very least, assault ammunition at the very least. I also want to say, by the way, that if these police officers who were standing outside and were afraid for their lives, would not go and protect 19 innocent children, a school full of innocent children and teachers. Um, and police officers also kill somebody when they are afraid for their lives, then we need to seriously examine the entire institution of policing, because what is the point? I think we have to really reckon with the kind of hero worship we've engaged in around policing in America. I think, sadly, Valdi is a, a terrible and tragic example of just how not incompetent, but problematic the entire institution is. As I said before break, if the police kill, tase, and maim unarmed people because they feared for their lives, and they won't stop armed people from slaughtering children, then clearly the institution itself is not sound. And we have to recognize that there is a culture in media and in television and in film that has created this incontrovertible narrative that police are perfect and they are heroes and everything they do is done with authority that should be respected without question. Instead of the fact that we can look at other countries and recognize that at the very least, 
police, disarming police, demilitarizing police, but really thinking creatively about how we abolish policing as we know it and really get to the meat of public safety. That's what our communities deserve. It's not just about what we take away when we talk about abolition. It's about what we create in terms of creating healthy communities and healthy solutions. But the institution of policing has far too long convinced us that they are here to serve and protect us when so often what they're always doing is actually uh, enforcing the will of the state and they're terrorizing often black and brown people in order to do that. Sadly, though, it's become our uniquely American ritual of words after each episode of this uniquely American serial tragedy. Thoughts and prayers. Nothing we can do. No law would have stopped this. The real problem is mental illness. If only the victims had been armed. More thoughts and prayers. How do we allow an 18-year-old, in this case Salvador Ramos, to buy assault rifles and accumulate more than 1,600 rounds of ammunition, all legally, mind you? Whether it's guns or climate change or protecting our democracy, we no longer have a politics that can meet these crucial moments that we face. Will the deaths of 19 children and two teachers in Ovalde, Texas change things? Unlikely. The murder of first graders at Sandy Hook didn't. No member of Congress has been voted out of office for being too pro-gun. Not one. So until the majorities who claim they want tougher background checks and to get assault weapons off the street vote like they mean it, we can expect to hear more calls for thoughts and prayers. And that's it. Because this current version of the Republican Party is being held hostage by a vocal minority obsessed with an absolute as here we are again on another day of mourning in this country once again we grieve for the uh, little boys and girls whose lives have been ended and whose families have been destroyed. Our culture is controlled by fear and cowardice. Uh, masculinity, traditional male values are under attack. There's, it's not any mystery why young boys are confused, angry. Mental illness is running rampant in America. This week has required us to cover one of the most difficult, tragic stories in recent memory. So how did the media handle the sometimes rapidly evolving details coming out of Uvalde this week? Let's talk about that side of the story with Babylon Bee managing editor Joel Berry and Newsbusters managing editor Curtis Houck. Great to have you with us, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Good evening, Shane. Okay, so you guys have got some highlights and lowlights in the media this week. Joel, I'm going to start with your lowlight. We'll play this from MSNBC's Joy Reid. Republicans just tying themselves into pretzels to point the finger at every single thing but the problem, the gun. As far as we know, there was no mental health issue with the individual who stole the futures of 19 children in Uvalde, Texas. All right, Joel, tell us about your pick. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, anytime a tragedy like this occurs, I, I always prepare myself to, to hear some really awful rhetoric uh, coming from the, the pundit class. Uh, this one still took my breath away a little bit, you know, and I could respond by by like making fun of Joy Reid, um, remarking that I'm, I'm amazed that she has a TV show uh, where people pay her money to share these sorts of thoughts with the, I'm assuming, dozens of viewers that tune in every week. Um, but I think the more appropriate response, I suppose, is, is one of sadness. I think, you know, our, our culture, um, a, a lot of our culture is so desperate to 
um, avoid um, mm -hmm. a lot of the real issues that are plaguing our culture right now. Everywhere I look, I see the, the brokenness of our institutions, mm -hmm. um, our leadership, our politicians, uh, and our families, you know, the way we're, fa we're failing um, our young men. And, and in our desperation to avoid a lot of these really difficult and complex issues, we kind of pour all our energy um, and our focus into this inanimate object, this gun, this scapegoat that, that seems like such a simple and easy solution to us. And it's just a tragedy. I think we need to we need to start having a lot of these these difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. And they will take time. And they are. And by the way, folks, there are going to be some highlights here. So stick around for those. We've got some good news. <laughs> Curtis, I want to play your light, low light. This is Whoopi Goldberg. So you sold an AR-15 at the gun show. See you in court. Does your neighbor have too big an arsenal? Call the cops. If you're going to get all in my business and tell me what my family can and cannot do, neither can you. They're going to come for those AR-15s, and you better get ready to give them up. All right, Curtis, your low-light pick. Yeah, I'm really just going to echo what Joel has to say. I mean, really, The View and Joy Reid can stand in for really any of these news outlets or comedy shows or pundit, you know, cases of punditry on the left. You know, there are a few issues in our body politic where there's more misinformation out there and misinformed people than on guns. And, you know, it requires a lot of sobriety on the part of not just journalists, but on the American public as well. And you're not seeing that, obviously, with the view, people like The View and Whoopi Goldberg specifically. Um, you know, she's just off of claiming that she knows uh, better than the Catholic Church regarding Speaker Pelosi. So now she's moving on to this. I guess she's taking a page out of Beto O'Rourke from his presidential campaign when he said that we're we are going to take your AR-15s, and it doesn't accomplish anything. Yeah, and apparently he's changed that now that he's running for statewide office in Texas. But okay, let's quickly get to your highlights because we need some good news. Um, Joel, I'm going to put up the picture here and let you explain. This is a cap that was involved in somebody who decided to breach those doors and go in and get this shooter. Yeah, well, obviously, that you know, the, a lot of the details are still coming out. I, as far as I know, the name of this man who was wearing this cap hasn't been released. But as far as we know, it seems that a, a small handful of off-duty uh, Border Patrol agents uh, disobeyed orders, disobeyed a stand-down order, and rushed in um, to to save these kids. Um, and I can't think of anything more American than disobeying orders to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. um, I, th I think it's awesome. Um, you know, there are some other pictures of this guy coming out. Mm -hmm. He was obviously off duty wearing dad jeans and a plaid shirt and this trucker cap. Um, you know, and it's 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 encouraging to see it, in the midst of this brokenness and corruption, we see the the core of America is still there. Mm -hmm. You know, the good people yeah. that that are willing to put their their lives on the line to do the right thing. Yeah. It's it's still there. It's still alive, and that gives me hope. Yes, and, and another picture I know shows him with the, actually the stitches in his scalp. I mean, he was so close to that bullet doing a lot more damage, but he was willing to run in there. Okay, this is your highlight, Curtis, um, over on CNN. You could imagine that hardening schools, uh, as some Republicans have suggested, could have helped in this situation, given what we're now learning about right. uh, what actually occurred. All right, give us a quick explanation on that. Yeah, Stephen Gutowski, a former colleague of mine, he ventured out to start the Reload, which is dedicated you know, to sober, serious firearm safety and reporting about guns. As I was saying in my previous answer, this is an issue that requires facts, uh, and very specific, concise arguments to break through the noise and the emotion that can sometimes overwhelm and frequently overwhelm us. 
And for CNN to put Stephen on the air was a really smart move, and I hope more of that continues. More news outlets should be looking at people like Stephen who aren't going to be yelling and screaming mm -hmm. to draw outrage and applause and instead allow people to take a breath. Yeah, and we need factual information, whether it's regard to the law enforcement response, potential legislative measures. Mm -hmm. We need to have those conversations because we're all emotionally drained this week and just heartbroken for these folks mm -hmm. in Texas. So I agree with you. We want to have... Um, spirited debate, but one that is respectful. It's what we try to do here on Fox News at night. Joel and Curtis, thank you both for being with us. I always rely on you for coverage of gun issues. What does the rest of the media need to do differently? Or what should we do to be better when covering this, this beat, this issue? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think the very base level, we need uh, better literacy of, about guns, about our gun laws, how they work. Uh, about the gun politics, why people oppose these sorts of restrictions that you often hear called for in the media. I don't think that there is a, even a base level of knowledge that, that uh, we have in our industry. And, and I think a large part of that is not just uh, you know, bias that people uh, talk about, though that is an issue, but mainly there's no beat. Nobody covers this in our industry uh, on a regular basis. It's, it's not something that's prioritized. And so when there are events that happen like this, what you get is reporters who are general assignment reporters who don't have knowledge on the subject. And that's where mistakes get made constantly. Interesting. Uh, but, uh, you know, of course, I'm not talking about you needing an expert level uh, of uh, education to comment on firearms. I think what we have uh, issue in, in our industry is that we don't very, very rarely have even a base level, even an understanding of the difference between semi-automatic and automatic. And these things matter significantly when you're trying to discuss policy uh, responses to this and trying to explain to the audience what they would actually do. And, and There's a lot of stupid in there. These fucking people, you know, um, I think I'm astounded. It'd be like me talking about transgender pronouns. I mean, especially his nine mil bullshit that the nine mil pushes the lung out. I mean, what the fuck, brah? David Axelrod, and I do a bunch of slides, but I'm not going today. We're just going to have an old-fashioned podcast where I just bitch and moan, like I started off on, and talk about these idiots. The inexplicable heart-wrenching delay in Uvalde underscores the indispensable role of police. So you just threw a bunch of darts at a board full of words and made a sentence once they hit. And the left destroyed them. Because remember, they're in a box. Guns are bad. Cops are bad. Everything's bad. We need to defund and denazify and de-white supremacy. We're going to take your guns and we're going to beat the shit out of you and kill you. But guns are bad. Violence is bad. Unless it's us. It's a really weird thing. And then you have this performative shit. Because remember, I just said it about the shitheads that fucked me up and made me quit my job. People believe their internet self is all that matters. And look at this guy. Eliana Garcia. Eva Mireles. Irma Garcia. Jackie Cazares. 10 years old. Jaila Silguero. 10 years old. Jace Luevanos, Jose Flores, 10 years old, Leila Salazar, McKenna Lee Elrod, Maite Rodriguez, Miranda 
Mathis. Nevia Bravo, nine years old. Rogielo Torres. Tess Mata. Xavier Lopez. Uziaya Garcia, eight years old. The thing is so funny. Um, when Republicans do this to product lines or sports teams and burn their jersey, the line on social media is, oh, gee, don't you look awesome. All of a sudden you hate Nike because they're woke and you just burned your own money. Does he think that's going to absolve him? That Dude, this is like everything else on the left. The fact you own that already made you a Nazi. You can burn it. You can melt it down and make rainforest spikes that will save the rainforest. You're still a douche. It's not going to help you a bit. You're fucked. Michael Ian Black, a longtime gun grabber, spending Memorial Day thinking about the soldiers who gave their lives defending our freedom to shoot school children. Yeah. That's nice. That's just how the fuck soldiers got. I mean, was he a soldier? I don't think he was. He was 18. Rich Campbell, it's time to come for their guns. And everybody, common sense gun control. Come for the guns. German psychologist Mia, 15 Alexander, Virginia, has completed in shooting content since she was seven. Satizing satirizing the USA has become impossible years and years ago. This thread is a great illustration. The people need these guns because of historic Nazi Germany trope. Repeated again below, this thread must be one of the most moronic excuses ever invented, but it's usually voiced by people who also believe that election results only apply when they when it suits them. These are the same people that think it's most important to save children by brainwashing them in third grade that their dick is really a vagina. But having kids shoot... Oh, man, what is wrong with you, you fucking Nazi? Uh, he then went on and just literally showed everybody who owned a gun and who is horrible and all the guns they own and why are you garbage. I mean, it's a huge thread. He went all over the internet, and I think they're patriots. Good for them. It's their interest. They want to have 900 guns, and they own 900 guns. Going to the last two. The problem with the gun debate is that the left knows nothing about guns. I could play that soundbite I used to always play with that black lady talking about it weighed 100 pounds, and it shoots a seven-inch bullet that's got a nuclear tip, and she was talking about an AR. This was on CNN. CNN used definition of assault rifle consists of semi-auto, detachable mag, possibly large-capacity mags, pistol grip, and arbitrary definition of a lot of damage. Weapons of war. Weapons of war. But what they're talking about is on every gun in America. WAPO. How the Second Amendment was reinterpreted to protect individual rights. But historians say, what historians? You notice they never mention liberals, say. 
that the notion that the amendment protects people's rights to have guns for self-defense is relatively recent reading of the Constitution, born out of conservative push in the 80s and 90s. The text of the Second Amendment reads, A well-regulated militia being necessary to security of the free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. The historical consensus is that for most of American history, the amendment was understood to concern the use of guns in connection with military service. The founding fathers were likely focused on keeping state militias from being disarmed, said Joseph Blocker, who specializes in the Second Amendment at Duke University, specializes. An individual's right to use guns, self-defense, is not expressly written in the Constitution. Neither is abortion, but you say it is. Neither is gay marriage. Marriage wasn't even spoken of, but you say it is. You guys say the 13th Amendment comes up with pedophiles. It protects MAP. Come on, man. A law professor at Yale who has written prominent law review articles on the subject. The interpretation that the Second Amendment extends to an individual right to own guns only became mainstream in 2008. Are you fucking kidding me? Ruled in a landmark gun case, District of Columbia versus Heller, that Americans have a constitutional right to own guns in their home, knocking down the district handgun ban. Post-politics. A highly political and controversial process called reading plain text was apparently employed. The right of the people should not be infringed. Pretty sure that's crystal clear, but no, it's not now. Because remember, the Constitution is only important when they can make it malleable to fit their latest bullshit. To cobble enough people to vote for their shit. Both sides do it, but the left, that's all they do. 100% of the time. Making the Constitution fit something that they want to push to get enough people to get them across the line. And the rest of the time, they said the Constitution is an impediment to freedom and democracy. I mean, don't make me bring out the tapes of all those, let's get rid of the fucking electoral college because Donald Trump won. Why does Wyoming have representation bullshit? I mean, it's there. So you can't say, you just, I mean... The circular logic of liberals makes me not want to vote for them as an independent. I hate the Republicans. They don't do shit. They don't fight for their voters. The left fights for 0.07% of the country more than they fight for the rest of the country. You know, I was just talking to my mentor and boss. It is amazing after George Floyd, all we talk about is making little kids dicks vaginas. You'd think it would be black rights, but we went right past that shit. It's black little kick dicks. Black little kid dicks. Those are important, not the white ones. Another idiot. Republicans created the condition for this carnage. They filibustered the assault weapon ban renewal in 2004 since an AR-15 ownership exploded. As the Ovade police showed, the idea that good guys with a gun will protect our kids is sham. This is the world the GOP made. The last time the Senate voted on the assault weapon ban in 2013 after Newton, 16 Democrats voted against it. The Democrats controlled the Senate, 55 to 45. Harry v. Reid voted against the assault weapon ban in 2004. Senate Dems made him their leader in 2005. From 2009 to 2011, when there were 59 to 60 Democrat senators plus five GP senators who voted for the ban in 2004, majority 
Leader Reid held zero votes on gun control. I look eagerly forward to it failing again, seeing as it's unconstitutional anyway. Tim Mullen, it sounds like there's a strong bipartisan support for the Second Amendment, which was written for the express purposes of ensuring the sentency would have assault weapons. But facts, you know, the media isn't going to say that. The media right now is in midterm mode. The Republicans didn't want babies to have formula. Which you notice how it went off the air, except on Fox. The baby formula shortage is getting more critical and lots of families across the country are out of supply. The out-of-stock rate for multiple brands jumped to 70% last week. That is nearly twice the April rate. It's not good. Alexa Beekler, she is a mother of two boys who need medical-grade formula for the rest of their lives where they actually risk permanent brain damage. So this shortage, obviously, for you, Alexa, is... It's, it's, it's life-altering. Um, you have two weeks of formula left, I understand. What are you going to do in two weeks if, yep. if there isn't uh, a, a supply? So that's a great question. That's up in the air right now. We don't really know exactly what we're going to do. I guess we start transitioning them, but transitioning them is not easy at all. Literally, it's tablespoon by tablespoon, and it takes days and days to do. So it would be a rough, rocky road. And we started transitioning them already, and he's not trying to drink all of his bottles, and that just leads to more issues for us because we can't figure out how much protein he's had and all of that kind of stuff. So it's a huge issue for us. And if he doesn't drink his bottles and get his all of his formula, then we're in trouble. Uh, your Congresswoman, Jennifer Wexton, heard your story, and she actually called you um, to tell you and to assure yeah. you that 70,000 pounds had been delivered to Dulles, right, um, and to alleviate the yeah. pain. Um, Alexa rebutted that none of the 70,000 pounds contained her special formula. You are basically telling the Congresswoman that you do not have my formula. She tells mm -hmm. you, yes, they do. Uh, and then she actually called you back. What did she say when she called you back? So there's um, it's other special formula that's out there and it has to do with the amino acid based formula for like kids who have um, a milk protein allergy. So this is a little different and it's definitely was not on that flight or anything. So she said you're right, essentially. We don't have the formula. But is there a solution? Yeah. I mean, it was exactly. it's wonderful that she called you and that must have obviously meant a lot to you to hear from her. But she actually, when she did call you back, say you were right. We don't have the formula that you need in particular. But did she have an explanation? Did she have a solution? You know, she didn't. So that was kind of upsetting because if she can't get any answers and I can't get any answers, then who has the answers? I don't know, but I, I'm hoping, what, what is your plan B? Where are you planning on getting this formula from if you don't have it in two weeks? So the director of all of Nutritica, who makes the actual formula, has called me and said, it's not even, there. she can't get it, it's nowhere. It's nowhere to be found. So it's not done being made yet. So they are still on back order, nothing, nobody has it. So if she can't get it for me, no one can. So we're gonna have to just, you know, ride out as much as we can and actually try to transition them to the new formula um, as best we can okay. and just hope for the best. And after the past two days, it has not been going well. All right. Well, Alexa, be clear. I hope that everything works out for you. Um, and, and just considering what you've been through, I hope everything goes okay. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you so and much. good luck to you. Thank you. But that, well, that mother there, she's sucking because, hey, Republicans wouldn't vote for a bill that actually was giving money for something else. Dean Obadiah.
the real pulse of the left. There is no constitutional right to own a gun. That was literally made up by five GOP justices in 2008. They get their talking points, man. They lock that shit in. They lock it in like liberals always do. They're so good. DC versus Heller. We need to make overturning Heller a cause like Wright made overturning Roe v. Wade, which I put in the intro because don't think it's gone away. It's so important to kill those babies so they can't go to school and get killed by a white supremacist Nazi who owns an AR. That's very important to the left and the media. It's very, very fucking important. Dean via MSNBC. It's time to be blunt. Eller was a political decision, not, not one based on good faith reading of the Constitution. I would say gay marriage wasn't a good faith reading of the Constitution. Marriage had nothing to do with anything. The founders never would have agreed to gay marriage or abortion or any of this shit, to be quite honest. That's why it wasn't in the Constitution. Let's, let's once again, let's be factual. You could own a cannon when they wrote the Constitution. Not a lot of people did because they were expensive. But this, all this shit you guys talk about, it's all fucking bullshit. I, I don't know why... What the fuck? The National Life Association, a, a bankrupt organization that does nothing, once again, and the GOP have been working behind the scenes to achieve this result for decades, as told by a 2014 Political Magazine article titled How the NRA Rewrote the Second Amendment. However, while the NRA and GOP may have been the ones behind the scene lobbying future Supreme Court justices with scholarly papers and think tanks arguing that there is an individual constitutional right to possess a gun, it was the late Justice Antonio Scalia and his four fellow Republicans on the court that made it reality. Dissident. The initial premise is wrong. This starts from the point that we must be granted permission to exercise our inherent liberties by Constitution or Bill of Rights. This is wrong. When you are free, you don't need to ask permission. That's the starting point. Jim Acosta, which I did the first one. Let's see the second one. After the latest mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas, opponents of new gun safety laws in the U.S. are tap dancing around a key question that keeps coming up. Why does this only happen repeatedly here in America? Here's Texas Republican Senator Ted Cruz speaking with Sky News. Why only in America? Why is this American exceptionalism so awful? You know, I'm sorry you think American exceptionalism is awful. I think this aspect aspect of it. You got your political agenda. No, it's God, honestly, God love you. Senator, it's not. I just want to understand why you do not think that guns are the problem. Why is this just an American problem? Well, it is just an American problem, sir. Cruz and many other gun control opponents have their familiar talking points, from arming more staffers in schools to forcing students to use just one door to enter and exit campus. But they are adamant no new restrictions on firearms. Look, the killer entered here the same way the killer entered in Santa Fe, through a back door, an unlocked back door. I sat down at roundtables with the families from Santa Fe. We talked about what we need to do to harden schools, including not having unlocked back doors, including not having unlocked doors to classroom, having one door that goes in and out of the school, having armed police officers at that one door. The the truth of the matter is these people are going to commit these horrifying crimes, whether they have to use another weapon to do it with, they're going to figure out a way to do it. I can't assure the American people there's any law we can pass to stop this shooting. A person who is intent on committing violence is very hard to stop under any circumstances. An act of Congress isn't going to do it. Neither will gun control. 
There are more guns in this country than there are people. There always have been. However you feel about that fact, you can acknowledge that we will never get rid of all of those guns. The Constitution prohibits that, and you would set off a civil war if you tried to do it. Leave it to Tucker Carlson to raise the prospect of civil war after a mass shooting. But the pro-gun talking points have been falling flat this week. To be clear, a war is already being waged against this nation's school children, who now live under a climate of fear doing mass shooter drills in their classrooms. And of course, in many parts of the U.S., you only have to be 18 years old to purchase a weapon of war, an assault-style rifle like the AR-15, the weapon of choice for most mass shooters. Consider this list of recent shootings in the U.S. where AR-15-style weapons were used. Boulder, Colorado, 10 dead. Parkland, Florida, 17 dead. Las Vegas, 60 dead. Aurora, Colorado, 12 dead. Sandy Hook Elementary School in Connecticut, 26 dead. San Bernardino, California, 14 dead. Midland, Odessa, 7 dead. Sutherland Springs, Texas, 26 dead. Tree of Life Synagogue in Pennsylvania, 11 dead. And don't forget Buffalo, just two weeks ago today. In some of those shootings, other weapons were used in addition to the AR-15, but it keeps coming back to that gun. And yet, at the National Rifle Association convention on Friday, a four-hour drive from the Uvalde School Massacre, we should note, we still heard another pro-gun talking point, that all that's needed is a good guy with a gun. Ultimately, as we all know, what stops armed bad guys is armed good guys. We must not react to evil and tragedy by abandoning the Constitution or infringing on the rights of our law-abiding citizens. Tell that to the people in Uvalde. The good guys with guns in Texas have already admitted they made the wrong decision in waiting outside a classroom door as the shooter killed children inside. A top Texas law enforcement official explained the officers on the scene were afraid they would be shot. They do not know where the gunman is. Uh, they are hearing gunshots. They are, they are receiving gunshots. At that point, if they, if they proceeded any further, not knowing where this suspect was at, um, they could have been shot. They could have been killed. And at that point, that gunman would have the opportunity to kill other people inside that school. They could have been shot. They could have been killed. Imagine how the, killed, how the kids felt. If the cops were afraid, justifiably so, how are we supposed to arm teachers? Yes, this is a uniquely American phenomenon. According to the New York Times, from 1998 to 2019, the U.S. led, there it is right there, the developed world in the number of mass shootings. It's not even close. And the numbers here in the U.S. have only shot up over the last few years. The last time the U.S. enacted a major piece of gun legislation was 1994, when the assault weapons ban became a law before expiring 10 years later. Studies have shown mass shootings fell during this period and then rose again after the law expired. Studies have also indicated that the ban's restrictions on high-capacity magazines also had an impact because they reduced the number of victims shot in these massacres. Since then, Congress has been essentially paralyzed on this issue. Contrast that with other U.S. allies that have experienced mass shootings. They've done something about it, and, and it's worked. After a mass shooting in Australia in 1996, the government launched a gun buyback program and imposed tough new restrictions on gun ownership. That solved the problem in Australia. Britain, Canada, Norway, and New Zealand have all enacted sweeping new restrictions on firearms and have seen major declines in mass shootings. 
So to all the people who ask, what can we do? What can we do? There are things we can do. But there are powerful forces standing in the way of new laws on firearms, namely the nation's top gun lobby, the NRA. The NRA used to give money to both parties, but not anymore. Look at this graphic from Open Secrets, which tracks political contributions. In 2012, 89% of NRA contributions went to the GOP. In 2016, it was 99%. In 2020, it was 98%. This year so far, it's been 100%. Which brings us to the filibuster, which is not a law, just a tradition in the Senate. When Democrats control the House, they can pass gun control bills with a simple majority, but not in the Senate. You need 60 votes to overcome the filibuster and pass legislation in the Senate. The last time the Senate came close to approving a gun safety law was in 2013. That was after the massacre at Sandy Hook Elementary School. When the Senate failed to pass expanded background checks in what was known as the Manchin-Toomey Amendment, the vote was 54 to 46. Five Democrats and 41 Republicans voted against the amendment. That was nine years and too many mass shootings ago. It came down to politics. The worry that it, that vocal minority of gun owners would come after them in future elections. So all in all, this was a pretty shameful day for Washington. And it has remained shameful. Here in the U.S., opponents of new gun safety laws say the real issue is mental illness, as if the U.S. has a monopoly on mental illness. Of course, mental illness exists around the world. Only the U.S. has this problem with mass shootings. The National Alliance on Mental Illness told CNN this in 2019. If this were a mental health issue, and this was the only issue involved here, what you would see is roughly the same number of mass shootings around the world, and we're not seeing that. There's the old saying that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. In this country, you have to be 21 years old to buy a beer or a pack of cigarettes, but you only have to be 18 to buy an AR-15. Authorities in Texas say the 18-year-old shooter in Uvalde not only had an AR-15-style assault rifle with him, but also more than 1,600 rounds of ammo. He's 18. That's crazy. Just like the alcohol and tobacco industry, the gunmakers do advertising too. Daniel Defense, the gunmaker of the weapon used in the Uvalde mass shooting, posted this online ad in the days before that massacre. It shows a small child holding an AR-15 style rifle. The ad says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's a reference to a Bible proverb. Here's another one. We reap what we sow. I know, I'm a terrible host that I just played nine minutes of Jim Acosta. But that kind of talk gets you these protesters and a guy on YouTube, which by the way, remember I put one show up and was banned off YouTube because I posted Tucker Carlson in a podcast, which means somebody went through and saw my Tucker Carlson and got me the fuck off. And that's how I went to Rumble. But you get these protesters and people saying this in the open air on YouTube, like it's okie mother fucking dokie. Never die? 
big protest outside the NRA meeting, which was good. Do we have any insight into what they're actually talking about there at the NRA meeting that's today in Texas? Someone should bomb that building. Mm -hmm. We got, we can't stop. It's got to change now or never. Now or never. Now I don't never. know what to do. I'd love to do something. I literally don't know what to do and I feel hopeless. I feel like there's zero hope. Yeah, I don't know. I was wondering... So there was a big protest outside the NRA meeting, which was good. Do we have any insight into what they're actually talking about there at the NRA meeting that's today in Texas? Someone should bomb that building. Mm -hmm. Okay, don't. I'll roll that back. <laughs> roll that back immediately. <laughs> Everything but violence. Let me. Can we cut back? I got a little carried away there. <laughs> Nobody bombed the building. All right, I take that back. Thank you. It's a, it's a, I took it a little too, I got a little passionate there. We need to bomb that building. You understand if you're humble, nobody in his basement, unemployed, piece of shit, conservative motherfucker, um, did something like that, you know it would be national news, right? National news. It would be like, oh, fuck, no! A nobody conservative Nazi said bomb Planned Parenthood. Oh, hell, I just did it. I said those words, even though it's out of context, and they're going to be fucking coming after me. You got CBS literally going to the NRA convention and being offended that they're guns at an NRA convention. A gun convention has guns. Oh, my God. God, this guy, what the fuck's his name? Uh, Rob, I'm going to student, can fly on the radar. Okay. Some people like the Rob, hands, thousands, and we call blah, blah, blah. Here, Ethan Kellen of the H3 podcast, Kelsey suggests that somebody should bomb the NRA. Context. Ethan has a site outside of social media, has begun doing consultations with various businesses on how to approach certain social political issues. Lately, he's only been working with singular client, and they have been began mixing their social views. H3 Taliban merch soon. Far-left extremist calls for someone to bomb that building while talking about the NRA. Ethan Klein is not a far-left extremist. His views are mainstream on the left. Got to stop whitewashing what the left really wants. They want you dead. How can he get away with that? That's illegal. So what? It's illegal to shoplift and to steal cars, but that doesn't stop people from doing it, and police don't do anything about it anymore. The left can always say rhetoric like this. I mean, there, there's never a problem with it. Remember, this is America. You go out there and you get in their faces, you tell them we don't want them in civil society. She is beloved by the media. The media thinks she's great, Nancy motherfucking Pelosi says horrible shit. Alyssa Milano cries and rants, we must do more on abortion. Then she cries and rants, we must do more on them guns. A lot of crying and ranting. I'm not going to play it. 
Robert Reich, you could use dynamite, dynamite to hunt or protect your home. We regulate explosives because they pose a threat to public safety. The Second Amendment wasn't intended to turn America into a battlefield. What the fuck does dynamite have to do anything? What does it have to do with anything we talk about? Nothing. But this is this is our world, man. Hey, man, this is what I, what we do. Jared Petty. So to start, a mandatory nationwide buyback of all handguns, semi-automatic rifles, and high-capacity magazines, followed by felony penalties for possession and sale of those weapons. A firearm black market would certainly continue to exist, but would likely gradually be curbed. Effectively, take weapons designed to kill people out of people's hands. Shootings will likely continue. They'll also be less lethal in some instances, and a gun culture eroded. I suspect that attitude towards firearm violence would change, and we'd see long-term shift. Just a national commitment to doing something anti-violent and constructive might be extraordinarily powerful in shifting our normative violence. There's no wild game on the continent that a lever, a bolt-action rifle, or pump, or double-barrel shotgun is an insufficient tool to hunt. One reply. Oh, an unconstitutional mandatory buyback of millions and millions and millions of guns that would inevitably lead to more people being shot in the face than have ever been shot in the face before. The reality is that didn't work in Australia. A third of the people gave their weapons back. A third. That's 30%. Math's racist. I, I know. Math's very racist. It gets in the way of facts. God damn it. What was I thinking? What was I thinking? Racist fucking math. Get the fuck out of here. I. Ah, here's Tucker. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. It was a week ago today that a deranged teenager called Salvador Ramos murdered 19 children and two teachers in an elementary school in Texas. You know this because we've had seven days of full saturation coverage, and it's all deserved. Given that, it's amazing what we still don't know about what happened that day. Let's start just because it's the most obvious with how the shooter could possibly have afforded the firearms he used. Salvador Ramos was 18 years old. He worked part-time at the drive-thru at a local Wendy's. Yet police say he had at least $4,000 of brand new weapons, including two AR-15 rifles, 1,600 rounds of 5.56 ammunition, a ballistic vest, and 60 magazines. One of Ramos's rifles was a high-end model manufactured by a company called Daniel Defense. According to a receipt that Ramos posted in a private message, that gun cost $2,000, and he paid in full. Now, Ramos could have bought effectively the very same rifle at any gun store for a third of the cost. But apparently, to Ramos, price was no object. That's pretty weird. If police know where Ramos got the money to buy one of the most expensive AR-15s on the market, they're not telling us. Nor, for that matter, have they explained why they lied about the most basic facts of the shooting. For the first 24 hours, they told us that a school resource officer fired at the gunman. He, quote, engaged Ramos. But they must have known at the time they said it that that was not true. They must have known the, re the resource officer was not even at the school when Ramos arrived. But they told us otherwise. Why'd they do that? And by the way, how long was Ramos outside the school firing his gun at people at a nearby funeral home before he went inside and killed children? That seems like a fairly simple question, certainly an important question. Last week, authorities told us that Ramos was outside the school for 10 to 12 minutes. Here's the claim. 
We got a crash and a man with a gun. And you have responding officers. That's what it is. If it's 12 minutes from 11.30 to 11.40, that's the information we have. 12 minutes from 11.30 to 11.40, that's the information we have, quote. But that information is clearly wrong because 11.30 to 11.40 is not 10 minutes. The timeline matters. So what's the real timeline? Well, on Friday, the director of Texas DPS came up with a brand new timeline. Here it is. 11.28, the suspect vehicle crashes into the ditch as previously described. The teacher runs to the room 132 to retrieve a phone, and that same team teacher walks back to the exit door, and door remains propped open. At 11.33, the suspect begins shooting into room 111 or 112. It's not possible to determine from the video angle that we have at this point in time. So actually, and that was the director of public safety in Texas, it was only five minutes that Ramos was outside shooting at people. Okay. But here's the key takeaway from that statement. Here's what they want you to believe. The back door to the school was open because a teacher at the school left it open after going outside to retrieve a phone. So it's the teacher's fault that Ramos was able to get inside. That's what they said on Friday. But this too appears to be untrue. The Houston Chronicle is reporting tonight that surveillance footage of the school shows that the teacher slammed the door after running back inside. And of course that would make sense since by this point, Ramos was firing his rifle, and that same teacher was using the phone in question to make a panicked call to 911. No one disputes that. So why did the authorities tell us otherwise? And for that matter, why did they initially deny that the on-scene police commander ordered cops to stand down and remain outside as children were being shot to death inside the school? On Thursday, a spokesman for Texas DPS called that account a rumor, quote, but there was videotape to show that it was true. It actually happened. So the next day, forced by the videotape, Texas DPS admitted the rumors were true. Watch. What efforts were the officers making to try and break either that door or another door get inside that classroom? None at that time. Why? Why? The, the on-scene commander at the time believed that it had transitioned from an active shooter to a barricaded subject. well aware of that obviously obvi obviously you know based upon the information we have there were children in that classroom that were at risk and it was in fact still an active shooter situation and not a barricaded subject but that's not really an explanation of course because no one disputes that everyone on the scene including police knew that ramos had weapons was firing them at people to kill people and was inside the school with children no one disputes that. So why did heavily armed police units decide not to stop Salvador Ramos from executing children? Now, it's not finger pointing to ask that question. These are very complicated circumstances. People are under immense pressure. People make mistakes. But we are making long-term policy decisions based on the specifics of what happened last week in Uvalde. Politicians across this country are calling for militarizing America's elementary schools. 
And yet they can't answer why the military force effectively outside this elementary school refused to stop the killing. So this massacre could have been prevented at some point. It was not prevented. Why was that? We should know the answer, but don't hold your breath. No one in power seems anxious to hold themselves accountable for what happened in Uvalde. And amazingly, and this is so perverse it's hard to believe it's true, but it is, some seem determined to make future school shootings more likely. In California, the state assembly just voted to end the requirement, the longstanding requirement that was put in place after school shootings, that schools alert law enforcement when students, quote, attack, assault, or physically threaten school officials. That's no longer in place. And according to the Democratic Party, that's a win for equity. We know this because the sponsor of the bill, a California state senator called Stephen Bradford, said so. Here's what he told the Daily Caller, quote, Black students, Latinx students, students of color, and students with disabilities are disproportionately referred to law enforcement, cited, and arrested, end quote. So too many Latinx students in wheelchairs apparently are being blamed for school shootings, so there's no more violence reporting in California schools at all. So how does that help prevent the next school shooting? Well, of course it doesn't. But it's starting to seem like helping prevent school shootings is not really the point of this exercise. Amassing more power is the point. And we know this from what's happening north of us. Canada's Botox dictator, Justin Trudeau, wasted no time in using the tragedy in the U.S. to his own political advantage in Canada. Now, Uvalde is more than 2,000 miles from Ottawa. But because of what Salvador Ramos was allowed to do in Texas, Canadians are no longer allowed to protect themselves. Justin Trudeau has introduced a bill that would ban Canadian citizens from buying, selling, and transferring handguns within their own country. Again, handguns were not the cause of the shooting in Uvalde. Uvalde is nowhere near Canada. And yet, Justin Trudeau is using that tragedy to disarm anyone who disagrees with him. By the way, that law would empower courts to f confiscate guns from people, even if they've not committed a crime. Watch Justin Trudeau announce this power grab, and as you do watch, pay special attention to the masked toadies behind him nodding in unison. We're introducing legislation to implement a national freeze on handgun ownership. What this means is that it will no longer be possible to buy, sell, transfer, or import handguns anywhere in Canada. In other words, we're capping the market for handguns. What's actually happening here is that people like Justin Trudeau know that their rule is illegitimate. They know perfectly well how resented they are, and they spend an awful lot of time thinking about civil unrest. You probably don't. You live in a democracy, so you don't imagine that anyone needs to be disarmed for political reasons. But people like Justin Trudeau can feel the deep resentment aimed at them, and they are fully intent on disarming the population. Now, we reached out to Justin Trudeau's office today about this new law. We wanted to know if Trudeau will apply these laws to himself. That's always the first and most important test of sincerity. If it's good for me, it ought to be good for you, too, and vice versa. So, in this case, will Justin Trudeau's state-funded bodyguards be relinquishing their handguns? And how about their banned AR-15s? But, of course, we're not allowed to know the answer to that question because he's in power and we're not. Quote, we do not comment on matters related to the prime minister's security his office responded, meaning, of course not. Justin Trudeau isn't that stupid. He's going to continue to protect his own family. 
You're just not going to be allowed to protect yours in Canada. Now, here in the United States, as always, Democrats are watching very carefully what Trudeau is up to as they plan our future here. And already the rhetoric of the Democratic Party has changed for years. Democrats, Joe Biden, his supporters of the media have talked about banning AR-15s, the so-called weapons of war, which are not, in fact, used by any military. But weapons of war have been their focus. Watch. The venom of the haters and their weapons of war. Assault-style weapons that are weapons of war. And, and purchase these weapons of war. To get these weapons of war. Finally ridding our streets of weapons of war. What we should be doing is taking these weapons of war out of the hands of civilians. Because they see what these weapons of war do on the street. An assault weapon is a weapon of war with no place, no place in a civil society. They wouldn't know what end the bullet comes out of. They know nothing about this topic. They don't even know the basic crime stats. In the United States, rifles kill fewer people every year than fists or knives do. There's no effort afoot to ban knives or fists. But weapons of war have long been their focus, meaning AR-15s, the single most popular self-defense rifle in the United States. Self-defense is the point. On Sunday, Congressman Adam Kinzinger has decided, and says it out loud, that in order for him to feel safe, we're going to need to confiscate your rifle because he feels unsafe. Watch. Congressman, you do still oppose a ban on the kind of assault weapons that were used in the shooting. Can you explain why private citizens need weapons of war? Look, I have opposed a ban, uh, you know, fairly recently. I, I think I'm open to a ban now. Can, can you explain, Congressman, why private citizens need weapons of war? Now, CNN anchors need to be surrounded by bodyguards with weapons of war because they're important. But you and your family? No, you don't need weapons of war. So for years, it's been about the AR-15. But things are changing. Joe Biden is now calling for a ban on the ubiquitous 9mm round. Watch this. A 9mm bullet blows the lung out of the body. So the idea of these high-caliber weapons is that there is simply no rational basis for it in terms of about self-protection, hunting, hunting. I guess, and remember, the Constitution, the Second Amendment, was never absolute. You couldn't buy a cannon when the Second Amendment was back. So there's a guy who can't even recognize his own wife of 40 years in public lecturing us about what the rational basis is for this or that. Quote, there's simply no rational basis for the 9mm round in terms of self-protection. Well, of course, the opposite is true. The 9mm is the main self-protection round in the United States, along with the 5.56, the round used in the AR-15. Both of them are small rounds. People use them to protect their families. And if you take them away, Americans will no longer be able to defend themselves in the middle of a crime wave that was wholly manufactured by the same people who are trying to strip your guns from you. And that's, of course, the point. This is a power grab. And you can be certain that it is a power grab and not an effort to make this a safer country because the people who are calling for it are exempting themselves from its requirements once again. That is the acid test. If you're for a law, will it apply to you? Do Michael Bloomberg's bodyguards carry the dreaded 9mm or 223 rounds? Do they have high-capacity magazines? Do Nancy Pelosi's bodyguards, which you pay for, do Mitch McConnell's bodyguards carry those rounds? 
Well, we wanted to know. Why wouldn't we want to know? Why don't we have a right to know? So we emailed all three of their offices today. And unlike we have to say, Justin Trudeau's office, none of them even bothered to reply to us. So obviously they won't be disarming their own bodyguards. They'll keep their own weapons of war. In the meantime, they'll continue to pass legislation against weapons they know nothing about. They've been doing this for decades. We did a documentary on this, actually, and we spoke to probably the person who knows more about self-defense weapons than any living American, Hickok 45, one of the most popular figures on YouTube and truly an expert on the use of firearms for self-defense. Here's part of what he told us. And, and of course, it has the, the famous uh, Tucker Carlson barrel shroud on it. Barrel shroud. Guns that Hickok 45 is referring to Congresswoman Carolyn McCarthy of New York, who famously didn't understand the firearm she was trying to ban. Do you know what a barrel shroud is? I actually don't know what a barrel shroud is. Because it's in your legislation. No, it's not. So a barrel shroud makes the rifle more deadly, right? Yeah, really. Shrouds that barrel. You know, a lot of what people come up with do not know firearms. They just do not like them. They hate them. And, you know, so they're looking for reasons to hate them. They don't know anything about the cartridges. A bullet is dangerous. Let's face it. A hammer, a chainsaw, a ladder, a car. They're potentially dangerous. Hickok 45 joins us now. We're happy to have him. Hickok 45, thanks so much for coming on. So it seems like the rhetoric has changed. If the president and people around him are now calling for banning 9mm ammo and 223556 ammo. It is amazing the ignorance that comes out in the gun debate. Uh, NPR, an AR 15 is designed to blow targets apart. Its bullet travel with such velocity that they can decapitate an adult. No, they can't. I've shot people they don't decapitate we had to put multiple rounds of 556 five, into somebody you're talking about a 50 cal round yeah you can fuck a motherfucker up just going past them let alone hitting them unfortunately the coroner has seen what it can do to kids An AR-15 can't behead a human. That's a ridiculous lie. The 223-556 round is a varmint, varmint round that is too weak to legally kill a deer. But, you know, make it up. Lie. Lie, lie, lie. I'm not even going on the whole angle they don't want to take care of blocking schools. I'm not even talking about this shit. You want to be in schools and run people's lives and you think you own kids and the community. I mean, the VP just did that community thing again. They're part of the community and the community owns these kids, blah, 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 blah. Well, why don't you want to protect them? I know why, because it'd fix it. You just want to get the guns. It's all about getting the guns. So we're going to do our This Is America up front. These tracks that I'm about to play, I truly believe show... How fucking hypocritical our media and the left is. You you are getting people doing crazy things. And boss, and I had this conversation this morning that it, it's the digital self concept. We're always talking about why people believe QAnon and Mega and all this shit. Well... It's ignorance and it's outright 
running people to a fervor more over anti-left stuff. People want to get rid of people on the right and their causes. And these tracks from Kimmel, you got Reed, they'd only save them of their white, Morning Joe, and this ignorant CNN section. Wow. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America. 2021. Speaking of demons, Ted Cruz was on hand in, in Houston to spread his slime all over the NRA holes. Senator Cruz had an unpleasant dinner at a sushi restaurant in Houston where a man confronted him uh, about this idea that he seems to be okay with the fact that an unbalanced teenager shot up a school because his plan is to do nothing about it. Ted Cruz must uh, know that at this point, every busboy spits in his food, right? But maybe that's what he likes about eating out. I don't know. But I, for one, hope Ted Cruz never gets to eat peacefully in a restaurant again. But the truth is, Senator Ooze does have a plan, and a plan he shared with the gun-crazy conventioneers. The shooter in Uvalde got in the exact same way the Santa Fe shooter did. He walked through an unlocked back door into an open classroom. We need serious funding to upgrade our schools, to install bulletproof doors and locking classroom doors. Spoken like a real knob. That, and by the way, the school in Uvalde already had heavy-duty locking doors. That's how the killer kept the police out. The police had to get the janitor uh, to give them th their keys to unlock it. Any other bright ideas, dumbass? Or wouldn't it be a shame if people started piling their old doors up on Ted Cruz's lawn? Oh, man, I would hate to see that. Imagine if there are so many doors in front of his door, he couldn't get... ...shootings. So when people say this shouldn't be political, you say what? I mean, it's inherently political. There's no way around it. We're looking at the culmination of political decisions. Uh, the reason that the shooter here, that the shooter in Charleston, the shooter in Buffalo, the shooter in, uh, there are too many shootings to actually listen to, to list. But the reason that these people have been able to gain access to these high-powered weapons has been as a result of public policy. Uh, and when we say that people commit explicitly political acts and the response, as you heard from you know, Senator Ted Cruz, you heard from the mayor of uh, Uvalde, uh, you heard from other people who were on that podium during that first press conference uh, con telling people not to politicize what was happening was uh, an astounding uh, statement uh, of just moral cowardice in my estimation. President Biden, who has in recent days played the role once again of consoler in chief with his trips to Buffalo and Texas. He showed some fire on the issue. He says that change must be done. But what do you want to hear from him? How do you want to hear him frame this issue, this American tragedy with guns? 
I mean, I think unfortunately we have we could we could publish an anthology of the eulogies presidents have delivered under these circumstances. Uh, one of the things that made people made Joe Biden appeal uh, to many of his voters was the fact that he did. Uh, broadcast a sense of empathy uh, about his personality and how he, he uh, operated as a political office holder. Uh, I think that he's done a good job of framing this conversation and of talking uh, empathetically and uh, you know making the demand and placing the kind of moral onus uh, on the Congress. This is easy for me um, because so many police organizations have already spoken uh, what, what their posture is on this, including, by the way, the largest law enforcement association in the state of Texas that came out publicly against the governor uh, last September 1st when he said you don't need training permit or license to buy a gun. Law enforcement officers want people to be checked. They want the universal background check. They would love to see some tighter control on automatic or semi-automatic uh, long guns. So raising the age, for example, to 21 is um, most police officers agree to that. They would love red flag laws on a national basis. Uh, I would say if we couldn't enact them a decade ago, but certainly after Uvalde, if we can't enact them, uh, what does it say about the state of American democracy? Well, see, that's the challenge, and I'm really glad you raised that because I don't want to be really too dark about all of this, but, uh, you know, the great threat to democracy is its failure to deliver. If people begin to think that you can't, you don't have a government that can do its basic functions like keep your child alive, then you have a real crisis here. And, you know, Nick made a great point here. Uh, the debate is not over these specific pieces of legislation because what what is the case, you know, against red flag laws or against background checks? And people like Ted Cruz say, you know, that we need to focus more on mental health. Well, okay, fine, but that's completely meaningless than if you don't allow background checks so that police can determine whether or not um, somebody who is mentally ill. We're introducing legislation to implement a national freeze on handgun ownership. Oh, hey there, Jason. Oh, what are you doing there? Just gonna strip you of your rights there, if you don't mind. Oh, I do mind you, big ol' hoser. Those are my guns. Look, if you won't give up your guns, we're gonna have to take them from you and send you to work in the syrup mines, Jason. Oh, well, fair enough. Then I guess we're just gonna have to have a Canadian boogaloo if you don't mind there, then. Oh, okay, well, I'd prefer it if you wouldn't. Sorry. Sorry about that. Oh, oh darn. Sorry. Sorry about this. Sorry. About to take another shot. You might want to duck over there. Oh, well, thanks for the heads up there. Wouldn't want to get hit by one of those suckers. What are friends for? Oh, Sorry. oh darn. Sorry about that. That sure don't feel too good. Yeah, those suckers really sting you, don't they? Oh, you aren't joking. Here, let me. Just sit me right here where I hit you first. Then we're even. Be you sure about that? Yeah, here, just take your shot. Ooh, yeah, those suckers really do sting. Ooh, oh darn. Just threw a grenade over at you. Might want to take cover there. Oh, I'd hate for you to have to throw another. Oh, hey, you, you seem to have forgotten to pull the pin on your grenade there. Oh, oh, sorry for the inconvenience there. Oh, we all make mistakes. No hard feelings. Oh, it's a good thing I showed up to confiscate weapons, eh? Otherwise, senseless violence might have occurred. Thank you so much for watching. If you enjoyed this, this is why you get what you get. I even put on the tunes from Matt in Oregon. Canada already was hard to get a goddamn gun. His dad started it and he finished it. But that's what it's about.
you can't fix problems because the left and the media don't want them fixed. Do I like reading stories about little kids getting shot the fuck up? No. I believe I have a soundbite in here of them interviewing a child, which I don't know why that got on TV. The kid's scarred, but we're going to make money off it. But if your plan is just to take everybody who isn't a criminal's gun away, you're not going to fix it. You've been trying to do it my entire adult life. The assault rep weapons ban didn't fix anything. It was still a 223 rifle. You can make it a 10-round mag. They'll just learn how to rapid reload. It's just a rifle. 400 people a year are killed by it. Tens, what, 10,000 a year? I don't even know how many people die off guns. I'm not even going to try to profess. I know the numbers. Most of them are suicides. But people are going to kill each other with rocks. It doesn't really matter. People are evil. We've been killing each other since God put us on this planet. Oh, I know I said that. Oh, since two rocks ran into themselves in the middle of the fucking space and we had this perfect planet with water and we all came from amoebas and once the amoebas got on land, they started killing each other. Oh, wait a minute. Even in the water, amoebas try to kill amoebas. That's just the way it is. But if you arm a school or harden it or do like I said on the last show where you have to go into an entrance, it's bulletproof, you get locked in the entrance, you have to get security check to come the fuck in, you have a metal detector you got to walk through, you don't have this problem. And I live in rural Tennessee and the school my kids went to had a metal fucking detector to get in the building. Kids had to walk through it. So there you fix it. But we don't want it fixed. We want to make everybody a Nazi who owns a gun because they hate guns. But as I tweeted the other day, and it'll be the last subject on this, do a couple things and do a quick quote. They're so in the bubble, they don't realize their policies of letting BLM and Antifa burn the country down and defund the police have taken this issue from a blue thing to a purple. Democrats bought guns. And probably the most disturbing part is so many people bought guns, they don't even know how to use them. So many people pushed for concealed carry and all these policies you're freaking out about. So people have open carry. You don't need a license for concealed. You don't have to go to a class. I mean, Tennessee, a pretty free state, you at least got to do an online class. But as an avid gun owner, I believe... You should have to go to a class. I believe you should have to shoot on a range to show you can shoot that pistol before you can carry it around on your holster and your purse. I just believe you should. But it was more than right-wingers that pushed everybody to go to these easier, lenient things. And lastly, you talk about gun laws and you are the biggest violators. The left releases the right color, gender, non-gender or sexual orientation from jail all the time for gun crimes. Obama released them because they were all black. And they only went to jail, not because they were illegally a felon holding a gun. They went to jail because they were black, we were told. But you're not enforcing those laws. 
Basically, this is something you just want to do to culturally change the country and you want to get the people that don't vote for you. You'll throw my fat ass in jail if I have a gun, but you're not going to vote, you know, take one of your voters and throw them in jail because you're already not doing it. You're catching releasing people with multiple felonies, carrying guns, using guns and crimes, letting them off. How many stories we've done on here, guys, literally doing this and going out the next day and killing somebody with a gun and they weren't supposed to have a gun. So just stop. All right, some interesting nuggets. Beyond policy, Biden is unhappy about the pattern that has developed inside the West Wing. He makes a clearing, succinct statement only to have aides rush to explain that he actually meant something else. He's rattled. Biden's three-part plan, the most important thing we could do now to transition from rapid recovery to stable, steady growth is to bring inflation down. That is why I have made tackling inflation my top economic priority. My plan has three parts. Read more about it. First, the Federal Reserve is a prime responsibility to control inflation by predecessor to demean the Fed. Okay, Trump, uh, it's Trump's fault. Second, we need to take every practical step to make things more affordable for families during this moment of economic uncertainty and to boost the productive capacity of our econ- economy over time. The price at the pump is elevated in large part because of Putin. Oh, okay. Moving to third. Third, we need to keep reducing the federal deficit, which will help ease price pressures. Last week, the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office projected that the deficit would fall by $1.7 trillion this year, the largest reduction in history. My plan would reduce the deficit even more by making common sense reform to the tax code. Oh, so you're going to tax the middle class, but you're saying you're not. Newsweek. Save a life, call an Uber, Speaker Pelosi. GOP Representative Lauren Boebert tweeted Sunday, Republicans pounce because the most powerful woman in the world, you tell us, husband got a DUI. Hmm. Okay. Big news this week, Jeffrey Goldberg. A reminder that on Memorial Day 2017, Donald Trump and John Kelly, chief of staff, visited the Arlington National Cemetery, grave of Kelly's son, a fallen Marine Corps officer. Trump turned to Kelly and said, I don't get it. What was in it for them? A lie of a story is still there. There was even a reference I saw the other day to he wouldn't land in Normandy because I don't land for losers. A lie. Biden mystified. His approval rating is below Trump's. Wants more Democrats on TV defending him. How the fuck could you have more people on TV defending you? The entire media complex doesn't even cover you. They're still covering Trump and Nazis and super mega. Let's get woke. Right now in ABC News ESPN exclusive with Leah Thomas, the elite college athlete who became the first openly transgender woman to win an NCAA swimming title. She's speaking out at her first TV interview with Nightline's Juju Chang. Leah Thomas says there are two major aspects of her identity, being an elite swimmer and being trans. And yet it's her success as a trans athlete that's landed her smack in the center of a heated culture war over trans rights. And she's breaking her silence for the first time on camera as people try to balance the core values of inclusion versus fairness. 
She's the swimmer who created shockwaves across the country. 23-year-old Leah Thomas. Leah Thomas pulling away. The UPenn swimmer making history in March as the first known transgender athlete to win a Division I national title. But her athletic achievements on the women's swim team igniting fierce debate over fairness in women's sports. Throughout the controversy, Thomas has largely remained quiet until now. Thomas earned a spot at her Ivy League dream school, UPenn, on the men's team. But by her sophomore year, she says her gender dysphoria left her depressed and suicidal. I was barely going to classes. I could really barely get out of bed. And I, I said I can't. I can't live like this anymore. I want to be able to do things I enjoy. But her success in the water was met with outrage leading up to the NCAA championships. Her critics say she jumped in the rankings between the men's and the women's team. There are some who look at the data and suggest that you're enjoying a competitive advantage. What do you say to that? There's a lot of factors that go into a race and how how well you do and the biggest change for me is that I'm happy and sophomore year um, where I had my best times competing with the men I was miserable and so having that be lifted is incredibly relieving and allows me to put my all into training into racing are there Olympics in your future it's been a goal of mine to, to swim at Olympic trials for, for a very long time, and I, I would love to see that through. And of course, critics have said, if you just stop swimming, no one would have a problem. And her response to that is, people are going to have a problem with me no matter what I do, so I don't want to be forced. A North Carolina elementary school has confiscated a set of LGBTQ-themed flashcards that a teacher was using in her pre-K classroom. And one of the flashcards, uh, these were to teach colors, depicted a pregnant man. Yes, the color white. You've got a little couple there with a pregnant man. However, the principal of the school verified that the cards were being used only to teach colors, as I mentioned, which is an approved curriculum at the school. But many elected officials, including our next guest, have stated that schools should only be using age-appropriate materials. And these flashcards clearly do not meet that standard for a pre-K school classroom. Joining us now to discuss is North Carolina State Representative Aaron Perret. Aaron, thanks for being here with us. You know, I had to do a double take when I was looking at the flashcards. And then when I was hearing that this was supposedly used to teach kids colors. Um, but before we even get into that, how did you find out that these were being used in that classroom? Well, thank you for having me today. It's good to be with you. So I'm a state representative, so I represent a set of constituents here in Southern White County in North Carolina. And one of those concerned constituents reached out to my office with these images and told me that they were witness to seeing these flashcards be used in a classroom with young children, preschool, kindergarten age children to learn colors. Uh, of course, any uh, elected official would uh, do what it is necessary to verify that. And so I immediately called the principal of the school, told her about what I had received and uh, that a concerned constituent pointed this out to me. And she was great. I mean, right away, she uh, expressed concern and a little bit of shock, you know, sort of saying, my school, this is happening in my school. And uh, she said, listen, I will contact the area superintendent. I'm gonna walk down there to the classroom, speak with the teachers, mm -hmm. 
and I will get back to you as soon as possible. And she did in about 90 minutes, confirming that she, in fact, did have possession of the cards. Okay, well, I'm glad that you had, had support there as well. But now, of course, the Wake County Public School System officials, they did respond, as you pointed out. They've also released a statement saying that an initial review determined that the flashcards were not tied to the district's pre-K pre curriculum, did not complement, enrich, or extend the curriculum, and were used without the principal's review, knowledge, and or approval. The materials have been removed from the school. The district is reviewing the matter. Aaron, do we have any idea how these flashcards got into this school, got into this pre-K class, or who brought them in? Well, I know they were used without the approval, like you said, of the principal, and they were not part of the approved curriculum for the district. So the answer is that this one teacher uh, decided to bring in this tool to teach colors to her class on her own. And uh, she did that, and it wasn't until a concerned constituent noticed and reported it to me that this really was brought to light. So yeah, it really was just at the discretion of the teacher. Erin, do you, it, it seems like uh, the images, of course, at least we just saw the one image depicting a pregnant man uh, on those flashcards that were used for teaching about colors. The teacher maybe wasn't actually trying to teach colors. Your thoughts? Well, I do know that, and I think everybody can see that these flashcards are absolutely not age appropriate. I mean, these are little kids, little kids that are just learning their colors. And I think when you know you bring in a picture and show them of a mommy holding or hugging a daddy who has a baby in his belly, that has to be extraordinarily confusing. So you know, I think everybody can see that this was just an inappropriate way to not only teach yeah. colors, but also bring this image into a classroom with children that way. And it seems confusing uh, rather than educating, especially when you're talking about. I, you know, I, I keep going down and I, I got to keep stop myself doing this. I keep going down this rabbit hole of reading about Vienna right before the annexation, when Vienna was this very, very open society, cabaret, irony and um, culture. And they were so ironic that they thought that the Nazis were a joke and thought like, well, we're beyond all that now. We're post-World War One, and these guys are idiots. And they weren't able to see as a guy, um, uh, this guy Clive James, great writer, was like, they were having so much fun with language and messing around with irony and taking apart their liberal comrades' writings and like, oh, you use that word wrong, or oh, that's a cliche, but, but that they could not imagine of someone like Hitler who just absolutely meant exactly what he was saying with no irony, no playfulness, and it was so ridiculous to them, like we did with Trump, like, this is insane. Obviously, he's through. No one's going to, that we weren't, a, we didn't see it coming. Because so we were talking, so wrapped up in irony. about us. Talking about us. I'm talking Very about especially dark. my generation. It was all that. We we thought we were beyond racism, and we, there was a lot of ironic racism amongst a lot of alt comedy, a lot mm -hmm. of Gen X, because we thought, well, we're beyond it. We can make fun of it, and we didn't realize we were actually mapping out a blueprint for a lot of the alt-right people and a lot of the edge lords and a lot of the shit posters to use for them to go, I'm just being ironic. It's like, no, no, you actually mean this. Right. You're trying to grandfather your shit in, and we're partially responsible for doing that. That's another thing is I always feel like a good joke is much better 
than a bad joke. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. And we've lost that now. That's totally gone. You know, I okay, I understand. And good jokes usually maybe have, like, actual irony in it. Yeah. And actual meaning. And or actual it, dimension. Or at too. least they turn whatever harshness is hitting out back on the joke teller to go, well, no, this is actually ultimately about me. Whereas a lot of these... A lot of these edge lords, they just stop at the. I just made fun of the different person, and that's where it ends. And they go, "It's just edgy humor." You're like, "No, you didn't turn that anywhere." But it else is also that- dangerous. It is also dangerous that you can tell a joke where it's absolutely clear what you mean, mm-hmm. and some people will object because yeah. there's a certain element, in it, and you have to be very careful now. Oh, absolutely. But you know what? We look. This, here's my thing about this. For years, when I did comedy in the 80s, comedy, doing stand-up comedy, you may as well have been a rodeo clown. They're like, oh, you, what you do doesn't matter. You just go up there. And we've we've seen that, no, comedy kind of matters. It's crucial. It's crucial to people's mental health. It's crucial to society's health. It's like it's like the thing that we wanted. We want to be taken seriously. Well, now you're being taken seriously. Now they're really looking at what you're doing because they, they know that it matters. And, you know, it goes back to when when Goebbels went and saw a screening of It Happened One Night, and he was like, in his diary, oh, I wish we could do something like that. Like, we need that. Like, we could use that as a tool for our shittiness, but we just don't, we don't have any creativity or a sense of humor. So, so it does matter. That kind of stuff does matter. And so act like you matter. You know, take it. To just roll with it a little bit. And- yeah. But uh, there is a, a thing where prior... Carlin, oh, yeah, yeah. All those people pushed Lenny Bruce, mm-hmm. deliberately pushed boundaries. But they were pushing for more openness. The people that are doing the edge lord stuff now are pushing for. Can we go back to the way? That, can I go back to being able to say these horrible things? It's like no. We we got to keep moving forward. Those try, those guys were trying to push forward in whatever ways they succeeded or failed at doing it. Do you yeah, know what I mean? But what I'm saying is things can be deliberately misinterpreted. Oh, well, you know, th- there are people about. that there are people that deliberately misinterpret things when they see that oh there's clicks to be gotten out of this. I uh I had to play that Patton Oswald. That is just they broke these people. Nazis and Trump and Mega, they they just fucking broke them. They're so I I they know so much about Nazis. It's fucking insane and the leah thing man i am so sick of that dude seriously dude you're dude you're beating up on girls what the fuck doj announces a critical incident review of uvalde because they were latinos killed by a latino just remember that london breed Today, I announced my five-year plan to end transgender homelessness in san francisco everybody else get fucked Chicago, Oak Park and River Forest High School administration require teachers next school year to adjust their classroom grading scales to account for the skin color or ethnicity of its students. Thinking you can escape the city of Chicago to get access to better public schools in the suburbs? Think again, sucka. Star Wars. A troll said something about the black stormtrooper. So then Disney Plus and Star Wars went all crazy and had another fake anti-black thing about a movie. It wasn't even real, but they made it real. I want to save this one. No, let's just do it now. This is a pretty good thread, and I wanted to cover it because um, 
a lot of talk of why kids are doing what kids do. Some lesser discussed issues that are likely adding to the mental illness problem, mass shooting amongst young men in America. The loss of rites of passage, rituals, both symbolic and ritualistic. Marriage has become increasingly rare for young men. Moreover, companionship. The U.S. never had much in the way of rite of passage ritual, but symbolic was marriage, and it's no more. Chores for kids are increasingly rare, too. Piggybacking that topic, a severe lack of community and bad parenting. That's so fucking true. I'm a librarian or libertarian, so forgive me, but I must make this point. The Federal Reserve debasement of our currency has forced way more households to have both parents working. A severe lack of holistic treatment towards unruly children. Stimulants. Religion. No longer. Wokeism. The espousing of Marxist ideology. Can you blame them for giving up? I'm in no way excusing these horrible acts of violence, but simply trying to course correct society so we might prevent the next one. Am I saying is there a problem is terrible complex a bumper sticker solution like ban AR-15s will not fix the needed in fixing? The politicians know this, but it's easier to prescribe confiscation than it is to mediation. And you know, if you think about it, it's true. It's just true. We're a different society. Enter TikTok libs. They say it's innocent. They say it's just about inclusion and acceptance. They say no one is trying to confuse or sexualize kids. A preschool in Massachusetts hosting a pride event including drag queen story time and a pride parade. A bar in Dallas, Texas is advertising a drag show for children, including the opportunity for some kids to perform with the drag queen on stage. Bristol in the UK advertising a drag queen story hour. AC Lib is advertising drag queen story hour specifically for preschoolers. Libraries funded primarily by property taxes. Children and drag queen dance for adults with some kids even collecting money on stage at a drag convention this month. I'll be playing it. I'm just going to play the rest. They're Jasper, uh, Jasper, Indiana Pride event. Ontario Pride event. Western Vermont. Cambridge, Mass. Philadelphia. Here are some of the things our kids are seeing.
That last one's hard to watch. How is that not grooming? How is that not sexualizing a child? How? A learning experience. Washington Post Town's Black Panther and Summer Books for Teens. Loudoun County VA Middle School librarian allegedly defends pro-prostitution book. Police are investigating after a middle school librarian allegedly defended a pro-prostitution book by saying it belonged in the library because many of the 11 to 13-year-old students are sex workers. But what was the media really reporting? At least 21 black staffers that left the White House since late last year are planning to leave soon, with some calling it a blacksit. And this is the most woke administration ever. He is the best black president. He's better than Obama. BBC altered rate victims quote to prevent misgendering her transgender attacker and that my friends is the epitome of woke let's do a lighter fare and close the door on this podcast Sergeant First Class Louis Gutierrez, Platoon Sergeant. Specialist Zachary Clauser, Driver. First Platoon, Alpha Company, 126 Infantry Blue Spaders. KIA, Atomia, Iraq, July 18th, 2007. They were my friends. They were my warrior brothers. Most importantly, they were my family. Bristol May, Headquarters Company, 2nd Battalion, 75th Ranger Regiment. Killed on his 14th combat deployment just outside Kandahar, Afghanistan. Chris was my JTAC, my FO, my neighbor, and one of my best buddies. Staff Sergeant Juan Campos, 1st Battalion, 26th Infantry, out of me, Iraq. He was my mentor. Sergeant Matthew T. Abate, killed in action December 2nd, 2010, in the Sangin Valley of Helmand Province. Fellow scout sniper, brother, friend, Justin Gallegos, 3rd Squadron, 61st Cavalry Regiment, 4th ID, killed in action, Cop Keating, Afghanistan. Justin was my first team leader, he's my brother, and he's family. Sergeant Bill Kerr, 1st Battalion, 5th Marines, Helmand Province, Afghanistan, August 13, 2009. He was a mentor and brought humanity to a deployment where we needed it most. Ricardo Barraza, Dale Brem, 75th Ranger Regiment, 2nd Ranger Battalion, killed in action in Ramadi, Iraq. They're my mentors and my team leader and squad leader. Sergeant Patrick Hawkins, 3rd Ranger Battalion, KIA, 5 October 2013, in Kandahar, Afghanistan. To be honest, I'm, I'm incredibly lucky to have spent the time that I had with him. Staff Sergeant Jeffrey Loa, August 16, 2006, Alpha Company, 135 Armor, 2nd Battalion, 
First Armored Division, Ramadi, Iraq, friend. Sergeant First Class Michael Goebel, 7th Special Forces Group, Operation Enduring Freedom, will incredibly be missed for the rest of my life. Ryan Sparks, 1st Squadron, 91st Cavalry Regiment, 173rd Airborne Brigade Combat Team. Um, he died in Pali Alam, Afghanistan, RCE. Kyle Wayne Burns, Charlie Company, 1st LAR, Blue Iraq, Brent. Nice Corporal Sean P. Hefner, 2nd A Battalion Delta Company, Helmet Province, Afghanistan. He was my brother. Kyle Milliken, 5 May 2017. Naval Special Warfare Development Group, Somalia, Africa, former team leader. Dave McDowell, Charlie Company, 2nd Battalion, 75th Ranger Regiment. Killed on his 7th combat deployment just outside Bastion, Afghanistan. Dave was my best Ranger buddy and just best friend for over 10 years. Sergeant Major Christopher Adam Nelms. He was my friend, he was my mentor, and he's the finest Green Beret I've ever known. Senior Airman Brad Smith, United States Air Force, killed in action January 3rd, 2010 never forgotten. This is Glenn Doherty. He died on September 12, 2012 in Benghazi, Libya. He worked for the CIA and he was my friend. So thanks for picking this scene. Yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, just really started trying off to kill the vibe. Light, good vibe. It's like the most true to life, like Navy port call scene there is out there. Uh -oh. Foreign relations. Now we're gonna keep up foreign relations. You see, high and hands my thing. What <laughs> <laughs> an excellent Willem Dafoe. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate yeah. that. Welcome to Black Rifle Coffee's Veterans React. Today, I'm joined by JB Bip Carlson. Hi. And then Chase Hobby in the house. Good to be here. Right? You wanna give everyone a little bit backstory on what you guys got going, what you do? So I used to be cool and flew fighter jets for the Air Force. I flew uh, F-15s. I started out actually as a backseater, then into the front seater, and then I got to do a really cool exchange tour with the Navy. All right. Sweet. Yeah, I was a uh, backseater in the Navy for about 10 years, did that, Got out, went to grad school, and then got out and started a business with a classmate of mine. And so we're um, essentially running a, uh, a company for about a year now that's uh, running natural solutions for stress, sleep, and pain. That's awesome. Well, sweet. I'm excited to have you guys out here. We teed up some uh, some movies. There's only a few really <laughs> good <laughs> fighter pilot movies out there. Uh, Flight of the Intruder. Hey, Mort. You ever notice how uh, some nights you could more stars than other nights. Flight so of the Intruder. In my opinion, this is the best movie about flying, hands down. Oh, yeah. What's, 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 what's the deal the between right Chuck Yeager? So this is one of yeah. the best films Why? of all time. Why? Well, it's, it's an incredible story, right? Time to get on down. Here we go. So it's flying the A6 in Vietnam, low-level strikes, alpha strikes, into like Route Pack 6 up North Vietnam. Black Eagle, Devil 505, feet dry. That's a Roger 505. And you get the side-by-side -side experience. Look at that small arms fire down there, Mort. Every peasant with a rifle, huh? 
of flying the A6 and being an attack pilot. Like, these are the guys. You got that riverbed ahead? Just picked it up. One more minute on this heading to the turn point. This is like the golden era, as far as I'm concerned, this is like the golden age of naval aviation specifically. Like coming off the boat, feet dry, going downtown and kind of getting after it. This was like right at the beginning of the movie, right? Yeah. And you get the golden BB shot. Oh! Oh! What is it? What the hell is it? That takes out his BN, and it's super tragic. Oh, you gotta help me. Let's hold it for a minute. Black Eagle, this is Devil 505. I'm declaring emergency. So thanks for picking this scene. Yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, just really starting trying to the, kill the vibe. Uh, yeah. Right, good vibe. Oh, we're all excited. Uh, and Goose has to go man. next for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just no. saying, we're going to watch you know, like Top Gun and have Goose hit the rail as you go up. Deject, deject. Watch the canopy. So this has got the golden BB, and uh, he's lining up behind the ship for a night trap. Gear is down. I got to let go just for a second. Yeah, hang on. I'm okay. Never a good time. Yeah, I was going to say, you, good time. like how many, how many traps do you have? Like a hundred something. Hundreds, yeah. It's a dark and scary situation out there. 505, call your ball, call your ball. Tuner ball, 6.0. Ride your ball, working 22 knots, you're high. Particularly in my case as a backseater, it's a trust, the trust tree. You were sitting in the trust tree. A tree of trust and understanding. We can say anything here. Anything. When you're a junior guy, you were flying with a senior pilot. And when you're a senior pilot, you're flying with a junior uh, backseater. And so the short and long of it is at night, it's all about your instruments and essentially just getting yourself to a good, good start. Get too high! Board, steady your line, steady your line. For the pilot, it's like, let's just trust our instruments and get to, to a place where we can get to a good start, pick our heads up, see that there is a initially just a, a speck of light a few seconds later you can start to make out like okay i think there's a tower there and then all of a sudden it's like oh shit there's a i think there's a runway come left jake i'm coming in he's too high wave him off as a backseater or side seater you could be super helpful in terms of like just helping the guy out like hey man here's your airspeed here's your altitude here's what's going on and just help him get aboard without you know losing shit five five, wave off, wave off. there's very little to compare to a a dark night at the ship it is consistently no matter how many times you've done it it's just scary There's some scenes in here that show you know, the, the sort of like port call atmosphere of I'm coming back into port. Now we're talking. Yeah, right? So here's the Subi Bay, you know, what is this? It's Subic, right? Subic, yep. And the Kubi Point Oak Club are downtown in the Philippines. And there's this classic scene right up here. He's like, oh, yeah, here he comes. All right, don't. Fighter, fighter. Yeah. <laughs> Get a fighter pilot to do it. Are you a fighter pilot? Never ask a man if he's a fighter pilot. If he is, I'll let you know. If he's not, <laughs> don't embarrass him. If he is, don't embarrass him. The classic of all BNs. Yeah, this is the patron saint of, of the, the, the backseat. 100%. Well, I just know it's going to be a pleasure to fly with you, Mr. Cole. You see, I enhance my thing. <laughs> you see, I enhance my thing. <laughs> Incredible. What an excellent Willem Dafoe. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate yeah. that. Prove it, asshole. Carry a landing. I don't hear your engine running. <laughs> 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 
Gotta have a little Dutch courage before battle. Come on, cool hand. It's like the most true to life, like Navy port call scene there is out there. We didn't hurt that crocodile. He was fine when we left. Yeah, he was okay, Skipper. That's a true to life depiction of what a ready room looks like. Our job. The task of the intruder is to kill Sam. Every squadron on the boat has has a, a room that you, it's essentially home when you're on deployment. Otherwise those B-52s will be dead meat. That's where you brief the flights, that's where you debrief the flights. At the end of a fly day, you sit and watch a movie as a as a unit and, and hang out. So that's like, no kidding exactly what it looks like. And basically every skipper is as good as Danny Glover. Let's go downtown! <laughs> Second generation Italian American. Yeah. My family of third generation mafia. Cat one right there. Mm -hmm. My stateroom, my first JO tour was like right under that JBD jet blast deflector. <laughs> Done for the day at like one, two, three in the morning. Yeah. And then seven in the morning, like there's a jet, you know, at full throttle, four feet above your head. You get used to it, but man, like. Slept really good. Just sucked yeah. initially. <laughs> Such a sure. All right, now Skipper's on the ground. The Top Gun one's pretty long on Black Rifle, which once again, I hate that company. I hate everybody at that company, but I like Matt Bex and Heather Lynn, so I'll still play some of their funny. And then Memorial Day. I was gonna start with Memorial Day, but it was a bad day. It was a really bad day. I, uh, Walked into the shitstorm and then had to quit and was wearing my Scott Carl shirt. And, you know, he was a person that came in the right time. I was pretty bad in Irwin. I was lonely. I had spent way too long alone um, and I wasn't mentally good and I was an alcoholic. And he kind of saved me from myself and was kind. His family was super kind. And then in death, he did the same thing. You know, um, I had not mourned. I just never mourned. I never mourned the guys I lost and the friends I had that all was like that driving Tate or whatever. There was an HBO with Kevin, Kevin, whatever, the guy from Footloose. And I was that guy. I woke up every morning and I looked at the death list. 2003 to 2005. That's all I did. And then Major Sid Brookshire dies and I'm in Cav and it just kept getting more compoundedly depressing that I was a pussy who quit. None of that was true. I'd served 20. I'd fought my wars and I wasn't going to fight wars. I was going to sit out in Irwin and just sit in Irwin. Wasn't going anywhere. Then my grandkids left. Then I had my meltdown. Then I got counseling, but I didn't really heal. The counseling is more, we're not going to pay you. Go fuck yourself. Which, you know, it's fine. Everything's about money. Right now I'm going through CPAP shit. Uh, because everybody wants to get the money, I can't get my fucking CPAP. It's going to take months to get a new CPAP and it's broken. Don't even like CPAP. They made me do it. Now I'm addicted to it. I can't sleep without it. But it destroys my esophagus. We've talked about it. It's horrible. 
Um, <clears throat> so the money, 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 just didn't want to talk to me or heal. We never talked about war. We never talked about survivor's guilt. We didn't talk about anything, and so I quit. But I go to his funeral, and I fall apart. I was crying on the drive to the cemetery. I was crying through the whole service. I drove away and cried to my wife. And then by the time I finished the five-hour drive back home, I was healed. I'd finally mourned the people. I'd finally got that out of my body. It was this thing I locked up and locked down and just kept in a box. I, I didn't touch that box. That box was just there. The fear of not seeing Gigi. The mortar attack. That wouldn't have been that bad, but I was asleep. I finally fell asleep. Lieutenant was pulling security, and I was sleeping, and that mortar landed right next to me, and I just freaked. And every night I'd have that fear on me when I go to bed. It wasn't of dying. It wasn't, I didn't care about dying. I still don't care about dying. If I die, I die. I had a good life. I, I had a good family. I got a brother and a sister that loved me. I got a mom and dad that love me. I got a beautiful wife. My son still cares about me. My daughter hates me. You know, it's, it is what it is, but I've lived a good life. And in moments like, you know, yesterday when I get kicked out of a building, I got to remember that I did accomplish things that I never thought I'd accomplish. And I had a really good career in the military. I had a good career out of the military. And now I'm just on a bad luck, you know, lightning strikes, broken ACs. You know, you just get in life. I said something the other day to my sister and she freaked out. But, you know, there are times you want to eat a bullet and you just go, fuck it, it'll be over. But I can't get the insurance money for the wife. So you can't do that. You got to, you know, but I mean, those are words. You shouldn't say them, but I said it. Um, this sickness has wore me down to the bone because I'm a pussy. I can handle pain. I can handle broken bones. I can't handle stomachache. Just can't. I'm a baby. Colds destroy me. Real illness doesn't like COVID. It's fucking weird. But, you know, I'm older. I'm softer. My suck pile isn't as big as it used to be. And I said it. You know, I shouldn't have. But I... I I fucking said it. But you have to heal. And part of remembering people is letting go. You gotta let go. You can't hold them. You have to remember the happy. And those are all words words we all say. But every Memorial Day, it hits me a little harder. For all the guys preceding Scott Carl, I've let them go. I haven't let go Scott Carl. The closest thing to a friend I've had in a long time. Just a friend. A person who didn't expect anything out of me. I have that with my sister and my brother. I have that with my wife. But you don't have it a lot with friends. When Cav destroyed and I quit, 
Well, I didn't quit. I got fired. <laughs> well, I didn't get fired. I just, there was no job, and I left. Let's put it that way. Um, when Gulls bought it, you know, you see who your friends are because everybody just stopped talking to me because I didn't have a credit card no more. Couldn't buy them shit. Scott Carl still talked to me. A couple weeks ago, I met a good friend, Rich Commander. It was like we never met or never, you know, we haven't not seen each other for fucking ever. You still have those people. So those people are hard to let go, but you got to let them go. You got to, you got to let them go. And in friendship, Scott Carl healed me by just being a friend. And in death, he healed me of the 20 or 30 guys I knew of that died. And for that, I, I will always honor him on Memorial Day. So I started on a bummer and I ended on a bummer. And that starting bumper will never come back out again. Next podcast, Sunday or Monday, I won't speak of it. It will be things we don't speak of. But I want to end on a positive. I did go see Top Gun. First movie in three years went RPX. That motherfucker was good. That motherfucker was good. It was better than the first movie. And people are saying that. It was like, uh, the first movie wasn't that good. It was cool, but plot line, goose dying, that fish face. And she was not even pretty. They could have got somebody else. Um, You should see her now. She's horrible. Um, The only thing I would say stupid is the Penny Benjamin and spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. The ending when he steals a plane, that's kind of fucking hokey. But the video, the sound, the plot, it's kind of like Rocky 75 and Rambo 900. You feel a closure. And if you're an old fucker like me, it hits you a little bit. I didn't cry, like people said. But if I was at the house, yeah, I could have got a little misty. I'd been a little much of a pussy. Because it did kind of complete the series. You know, you felt like you touched your youth for just a little bit and you got to relive it again. So it was well worth, I'd go back and watch it again, but Gigi's not going to go. So the moment it becomes a download, it is on like Donkey Kong. I shall buy it and I shall watch it over and over and over the video, the shots, the action go to a big screen, pay the extra five bucks for a good sound system Dolby Atmos, RPX, feel it in your ass. There was a couple times I jumped and felt weightless. I'm not making that up. It's really good. So get out and see it. So this wraps up another episode of Flower Politics Podcast. Please share this with your family and friends by going to flowerpodcast.com. We can find this video and all videos and all audio links. Thanks to Matt in Oregon, who finances and our only sponsor of the show. Disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yeahs. We're going to shoot for a Sunday or Monday. Another show, hopefully not the same subjects. I will not speak of my unemployment. I will not speak of depressing things like Memorial Day. And I'll get a little more rage monkey out, a little more comedy. This one was kind of thrown together because I didn't think I was going to be podcasting today. So excuse the extra sound bites. But as always, thank you for listening. And y'all take care.